This is Henry O. Godwin, WWE Tag Team Champion, listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Turnchuckle on bbgwrestling.com. I am Pablo and with me is my baby tonight. <laughs> I was waiting for some kind of comparison. I didn't know that you were just going to romance us <laughs> in a countrified yet WWE manner. <laughs> um, yeah, Tempest, hello. Hello. How are you doing? Hi, I'm Irish. I literally just got finished watching that show, so that was fun. Wonderful. <laughs> on on its 26th anniversary, I am old as shit. Um, we're talking about In Your House 2, The Lumberjacks, which is a, more of an American uh, VHS release uh, name. We just got them. We They were just called In Your House 1 to 6, and then 7 was the first with a subtitle on video in this country. Um, and in America... Yeah, because uh, uh, In Your House 3 was like Triple Header, In Your House 4 was Great White North and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of weird because, I mean... That does sound epic, though. Like, Great White North makes me want to watch it here in that title. Oh, God. It I sounds mean, like well, a fucking Seagal film or something, but I know it's going to be disappoint- disappointing give, instead, isn't it? It gives King of the Ring 95 a run for its money. Let's just put that Oh, way. shit. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Great anyway. shite North. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about In Your House 2, The Lumberjacks, which was, as I say... funny to tell you that. Sorry if I can interrupt. Uh, uh, We were sent a delightful question, which I will get to at the end. Uh And I said to someone, I'll I'll answer that while I'm recording In Your House 2. The reply was, are you coming to my house? I was like, wait, what? Did you organise to come to my house tonight? But no, 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 of course I didn't. Oh, fucking hell. That's when I realised, like, no, it's the show in your house, you dumb bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting thing, though, that, like, WWF never mentioned the number of the event. Um, Did they not? No, kind of like they do with WrestleMania now. They don't mention the number. It was just in your house. And they probably called them the Lumberjacks, etc. on when Todd Pettengill would do the updates. But nothing that I remember offhand, certainly, until they started uh like i say giving them names with good friends better enemies and some of the later releases uh like in your house 14 revenge of the taker was also released as WrestleFest 97 in america um so there's lots of i didn't know there were more WrestleFests after 95 that mm-hmm. bizarre one we watched at your house the other day that was actually a lot more entertaining than i expected it to be <laughs> well i can't <laughs> off the top of my head remember what WrestleFest 96 was but 97 was also in your house 14 so yeah very uh, very strange. strange. Uh, before, <laughs> before we get into all that, I mean, as well as being the 26th anniversary of In Your House 2, I mean, you know, we're all we're all throwing parties over that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's also San Diego Comic Con Day One. Very exciting. This is like Christmas Day for me. Um, it's it's partly great because I get to see which of my toys I can sell and actually have some money um, to upgrade to. <laughs> Future toys. So we're not going to go through every single figure, but my personal highlights, and you can go on their Instagram, but I just kind of want to share some thoughts. Uh, I mean, Tempest's obvious highlight is the fact that they've made a fucking Zodiac figure. <laughs> yes, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> oh, I will uh, solemnly swear that I will never own anything Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> well, the, with interchangeable heads as well, which I love. Like, the thing is, this isn't the first strict Dungeon of Doom figure either, because they've made a shark. Um, and there is a Kamala as well, which can pass for probably any era. So they're determined <laughs> to get a full Dungeon <laughs> of Doom set out there. Um, they've done Where's so much. <laughs> well, saying that, we'll get to that in a second. The, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you now, they made Dominic Mysterio, but as child Dominic Mysterio. The paternity puppy <laughs> feud. <laughs> when they said they were going to do a ladder match for Dominic, I assumed it was going to be like him hanging off the thing, like like Judy Bagwell on a pole or something like that. But uh, <laughs> sadly, it wasn't. I thought it would be the way he is now that he's a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> How silly of me. So naive. Um, so yeah, they've uh, made an elite style Sergeant Slaughter, which uh, is basically, uh, I believe it's WrestleMania 7. Um, they've done a very similar basic uh, one of that, but this comes and it's it's it would be slightly annoying for people who aren't as hardcore collectors, especially for Sergeant Slaughter, if they bought that Comic Con one yesterday, which sold out in five minutes. They've just now announced another Slaughter. Um, what was the one yesterday again? Wasn't that uh, further up go? It wasn't like Sergeant Slaughter, the Iraqi sympathizer. No, uh, it was more Sergeant Slaughter, USA 1984 hero, G.I. Joe kind of thing, uh, based yeah, on his yeah, old yeah. LJN figure as well. But, but this, this is the way he was in AWA as well, wasn't it? Uh, pretty much. I mean, this, this is very much Iraqi sympathizer slaughter right um, and not the first time they've done that by Mattel. This is kind of an upgrade on the previous one, but the, the previous one came with his, uh, I guess turban, um, but this is an overall better figure if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, now, uh, talking about figures that people won't be massively into, they're making a fucking goon figure, and I'm very, very excited about that. Um, <laughs> you are the only goon fan I've ever met. I, uh, it's very sweet. <laughs> of all the stupid gimmicks, that one kind of works. Like, I c- <laughs> it doesn't have to be done as cartoony as it is, but like, I can. I could get behind a hockey player who got kicked out for being too violent. I just don't want him to then turn up still dressed for hockey. <laughs> the, <laughs> you know the, what I mean? If, I mean, if you're old school as well, the good thing about this is you could make a Wild Bill Irwin custom figure, um, which, I, <laughs> which, no, which I have a feeling a lot of people will do. Um, sure they will. But, I mean, they've, they've put so much effort into this goon figure. Removable hockey gloves. They've done new boots for him. They've done a hockey stick. They'll give him a shirt, I'm sure. Um, very exciting. Uh, they have done an uh, ECW Tiger Stripe RVD figure, which is nice. Oh, well, that's cool. Um, so I'm trying to find ones that you'd be interested in as well. They're, they've done Chainsaw Charlie, which is a huge update on the old Jack's Classic Superstars one. Um, so I'm very excited about that uh, when it when it eventually comes out. Uh, some that we kind of knew about, they've done Canadian Earthquake from Royal Rumble 90. So that's just plain blue singlet with the Canadian flag. Um, and they've done Yoko from Royal Rumble 93, one of my favorite events of all time. This has a new head and salt bucket, but they still haven't released a Mr. Fuji. But they've done this attire before. Um, so it's kind of a re release, but with a more accurate head. Um, Didn't you customize one of this before? Well, yeah, the, the, all you had to do really was because the head they gave them for the Hall of Fame figure was kind of a mashup. They gave them as 95 in your house, two kind of figure, like sort of ponytail with beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of thing and uh, so all you have to do because there's a younger Yokozuna head on other figures that you can swap over so it was just a bit right of swappery but I'd, um, so the, I think it's part of that set there is a Builder Jimmy Hart figure uh, with his pink 
uh, jacket, black pants. So it's kind of more. 87. Is that Heart Foundation, Jimmy? It's, it's more eighty-seven Heart Foundation because the with pink jacket and pink pants, which Jacks have released before, that's more rhythm and blues. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, that's kind of immediately what that reminds me of. I don't think he wore the black pants with that jacket as rhythm and blues. Uh, there is also a build of Vince McMahon figure, uh, which is kind of you know tuxedo uh, with red bow tie uh you know welcome to wrestlemania 3 kind of vince mcmahon which i'm kind of excited about and it's gonna be more in proportion because the the previous vince mcmahon's about eight foot tall um so uh, i'm glad that make they've kind of improving on that they've done undertaker and kane as ultimate editions uh take is wrestlemania 14 kane is debut kane but he comes with that another cape that he wore on house shows I had not seen the cape before the toy came out, so that was fun but confusing to me. I'd seen The Undertaker when he wears a cape and he flies through the sky and that when he's like, I've returned <laughs> from heaven because I'm a demon. I was like, you should be down below. But I guess popping up through the ground with like a mole helmet on wouldn't have been as dramatic. But like, I don't remember Kane having a geek flying cape. He wore it on a couple of house shows. Uh, there are pictures of it out there and it featured on that Hidden Treasures show as well because he kept a hold of it. So it's a, it's a confusing accessory if you don't know. It also comes with a little voice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it comes with a little voice box gimmick as well, which hasn't seen a release for years and years, about honestly about 10 years. Uh, so Does I it think... actually speak or is it just a little thing? <laughs> no, no, it's just a little, you know. Oh, it's like when you said the Vince McMahon one, I want one with like the string on from Toy Story. <laughs> when you pull it, it's like, what a maneuver. Did he get And He's got to know he did not. Stand back. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm just coming out with random <laughs> McMahonisms or McMannerisms. <laughs> that would be fucking class. <laughs> um, the fan sent figure, uh, Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania Six, which I'm not surprised won the vote because that's his most one of his most iconic attires. They have tried WrestleMania Six Ultimate Warriors before, but this one's particularly special. So sell your old belts, Ultimate. doesn't it? Comes with both belts in the right colors. He's more built. The hair's more correct. Um, it's a it is an improvement. Uh, I, I'm going to skip over Masters of the Universe. That actually. Uh, have made a line, it seems, of AWA-style Remco figures uh, because oh, wow. every company's jumping on the Hasbro-style figures, which they've also done, uh, but they've done a Honky, they've done an NWO Hogan, they've done a Mania 8 Flair, and they've done a Bray Wyatt dressed as a, uh, uh, the Mad Hatter or something like that. It's kind of weird. Um, like sort of Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. Fuck? I honestly don't know. <laughs> to be fair, with how mental everything is with him and fucking Alexa Bliss these days, I wouldn't be shocked if that's his gimmick <laughs> at the minute. He's just a big fucking rabbit. <laughs> oh, we're going to... Follow the carrots. Yeah, I must say I turned off money in the bank once Alexa Bliss hypnotised someone on the ladder. I was just like, come on. We're gonna... I and I, lo- me, like... <laughs> and I love your... I love Papa Shango Ultra Warriors daftness, but at least that was kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek and fun and colourful and just not done in front of a live... Well, no, to be fair, it was done in front of a live crowd. I'll, uh, I'll show... to the Dungeon of Doom, Dungeon of Doom confirmed. Uh, I'll, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they've, they've shown the Hollywood uh, set as well. So they seem to be striking up deals with various franchises so there's a they live roddy piper but without guns it seems a bit daft so i would say get the necker figure if you can uh, but they've done andre the giant is bigfoot from the six million dollar man that's incredible um i'm really surprised they've done that uh hogan mania nine i voted for it and now it's there i fucking hate it so i do apologize for those who didn't get the figure that they wanted <laughs> um oh, just yeah they use his old nwo heads so like it could look better 
um, in my opinion. And he's not like skinny off the ride Hogan. He's kind of really bulky. So I don't think it looks Which as good looks as it could. weird at nine. <laughs> he looks proper old when he's not bulky at WrestleMania 9 and King of the Ring that year and all that, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and uh, they've done a battle pack, a double pack uh, of Bret Hart and Undertaker from SummerSlam 97. I'm excited about that. Um, so they need to do Michaels as the guest referee at some point, I'm sure. Uh, they're re-releasing Big Boss Man in his Cobb County, Georgia stuff. Uh, Sweet. It's a strict re-release, but it gives people another chance to get it. And it comes with like a Big Boss Man cap. It is one of those Malibu Stacy's got a new hat sort of thing. So I will probably, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, one of the, I mean, I, the, it was heavily rumored. This is the last one. And actually, no, sorry, there's three more. Uh, and they'll announce more over the weekend, which we'll get into probably next week. Uh, Chief J. Strongbow is getting a figure. Um, yeah, I'm fucking excited about that. The uh, Jack's Classic Superstars version was okay, but it was one of those where they used the same beer gut singlet on everyone. So you looked far too muscular. And the prototype of the Jack's one, it was real feathers. It looked fucking amazing. But then when they released it, it looked shite. I'll show you the difference between the release and the prototype that never got released. So this one really looks like them. Comes with the tomahawk and comes with a, a plastic headdress, but plastic's always better for more detail instead of trying to use fabric. Um because mm. you can know paint the fabric and that for like textures, can you? No, and and I mean they could really go all out if they wanted to, but it, it, you know there's certain things. That's why I never really liked the Jerry Lawler robe that they brought out, you know, because they couldn't do all the gems on it. Whereas the Funko Pop that's coming out actually has more detail on it. Um, so it just depends what you're into. Um, and rounding this out is Bret Hart Survivor Series '96. They've shown the actual figure. It looks pretty good. Can't fault the detail on it. Um, people are still up in the air about the head. I think the head looks good. Um, there's the shades are wrong as usual, uh, because they just don't want to buy foil to make actual nice looking shades for whatever reason. Um, it comes with a pink chair from the or like a purple chair from the match, which is the MSG chairs, which is a nice touch. And um, they've done Hogan from Survivor Series 89, and um, it's as you expect, Hulk Rules t shirt. Baldi Napa. Um, <laughs> the head is actually uh, the first time they've released it since is very hard to find uh, American made Hogan, which is like white top, blue underpants. Uh, one. The American male Hogan. American <laughs> male Hogan. Can you imagine? <laughs> Fucking like assless chaps. And when you see him coming, you'll definitely start running. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, so yeah, it's uh, a good and beefcake just it should have happened. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see it now. Oh, god, um, <laughs> real American made. There you go. I don't think real American males, fuck's sake. <laughs> Hogan's not. Can you imagine Hogan trying to do those big Olympic style claps? I, I just can't imagine it happening. Um, you know, I don't you've think... got to say a lot about a guy's work rate when you're questioning <laughs> whether he can fucking clap. <laughs> Oh, I make no apologies for that. Um, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and there's some Masters of the Universe figures, but meh. If you enter that kind of thing, great. But uh, they made a China and an Austin. and As yeah. Masters of the Universe, like fucking like China as He-Man or something. Or like <laughs> Stone Cold as Skeletor or Battlecat or something. Well, well, no, they, well they've, teamed, <laughs> they've teamed up with... Uh, with 
I guess Marvel do Masters of the Universe figures anyway. So they've done a few sets of these now, and some of them are based off actual characters. Marvel? It's Masters of the Universe, Marvel. No, no, sorry, Mattel. Mattel. Um, oh, right, I was going to say, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I don't know enough about Masters of the Universe. I guess it's one of those, if you're into that kind of thing, I'm sure it's wonderful. Um, I loved it when I was a kid, like, I have the power! <laughs> <laughs> um, well, again... I think that's pretty much it for them. I couldn't even tell you what half of those are. So, uh, oh, and <laughs> and there's also the Hasbro ones as well. Uh, Gene Oakland, Mr. T, Roddy Piper, and uh, Bob Orton. Very much WrestleMania one style uh, themed set. And uh, actually, the new Legends set you'll like this. Um, I mean, there's a Hurricane, there's a Triple H, uh, there's a Bob Orton from his Saturday Night's Main Event boxing match against Mr. T, which I think is quite cool. <laughs> But the, the, the gem of the set is uh, Jake the Snake. Now, he's going to have the variant of the set. Now, he's in his blue flamed attire when the snake bit Savage, so he's got a glove. But the genius of them giving him a glove is that the variant is from his coal miner's glove match in WCW. So the glove works as, you know, twofold sort of thing. Um, Classic. The only shame is we'll never get a sting. Uh, now, um, unless AEW, because I'm sure AEW will, will make a million Sting figures before it's all said and done. Um, they should, like. <laughs> oh, yeah, they will. Um, no no worries about that. So, yeah, that's my very, very brief review of San Diego Comic-Con. It's very exciting, like, but and there will be more reviews. But I would say go over to the Instagram. Let us know what you think. If you have any views on any of the figures, both old on you, happy to talk toys, and uh, probably more than Tempest is. But... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll talk toys. I'll just talk them in a dumb way because I'm like, I like playing with toys. Whereas <laughs> you like know stuff about like how they're made and what, what the point of them is other than I'm like, this one biffs, this one biff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, Mason, I mean, how is he with playing with figures? Is he is he quite technical with it or is he kind of like... He, he's like trying to like call his own matches with them now which he gets annoyed because his sister just stands in the ring and goes ah punch match and like, <laughs> just grabs a hold of everything and fucks it all up and she thinks she's playing as well so he's <laughs> at that age where you get frustrated at your little sister <laughs> so yes as we say in your house too uh the Lumberjacks. Now, this was held 23rd of July, 1995 at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee and they cool building. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, attendance was a respectable uh, 6,482 with a buy rate of 280 grand, um, which is decent for 1995, I would say. Um, and I think they built up the card pretty well as well, because, I mean, a lot of it was running on from the first in your house. I mean, they're kind of entering a new style of booking now, I guess, because monthly pay-per-views... You know they have to yeah uh, mm-hmm. move things along a little quicker and uh, you know they're not they have to more... be more episodic as well. Yes, absolutely. And the, I mean the good thing about these in your houses, I think they were only like God what fourteen ninety five, which is really cheap for for a pay per view when they were like fifty odd dollars or whatever. Um, Fucking hell. Yeah, uh, they they do say though that you know it's a two hour pay per view, but it's just filled with action and all that kind of stuff. And they the really give it the hard sell. Um, I don't know how it would affect house show business at this point, because I mean, I think the houses were probably on the ass, uh, but 
you're kind of giving away more matches on pay-per-view at this point. So, you mm. know, it's trying to, I guess, think of like different gimmick matches, matches that don't... I mean, they did this in the 80s. That's why they had Survivor Series and Royal Rumble and stuff like that. You wouldn't necessarily get, say, Randy Savage against Bad News Brown, who were feuding very hot in like early 89. They weren't going to have mm-hmm. a match on a pay-per-view, but they'd attack each other in the Royal Rumble and stuff like that. And then... Sell your house show tickets and that. Oh yeah, I mean, and and they were still using that mold back then, even when the in your houses uh, were about. Um, but this is a pretty good card. I mean, I, I this was a, a video that I got at the time. It was like Christmas '95, so it was literally a brand new tape as it came out. Um, That's cool. And I always thought that it was a a more solid event than in your house one in terms of like. You know, I don't think people were as first about smoking guns against Owen Hart and Yokozuna as they were Bulldog and Luger. You know, mm, the same value. To, yeah, I think it was definitely a bit more name value. And obviously, you know, the Sid Diesel rematch after the King of the Ring debacle uh, <laughs> with the Lumberjacks and everything. It made sense why, uh, you know, Sid ran away at King of the Ring, but that was to, you know, just build up this event, which I think is always a bit of a screwy thing to... It is at a pay-per-view. Like, do that on the telly. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I hit the microphone there, just as the cat's trying to get in, so I won't make an edit there. Uh, the cat will, <laughs> will owe me some... Uh... Oh, shush. Um, I gave the cat the last of the tuna. That's how uh, desperate I was for them to be quiet for the next two hours. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, in your house too. Had you... See... You've seen it before, watching it tonight, haven't you? I'd seen it once before, but um, I, I had vague memories of it, but not much about the matches, actually more about the presentation. Like, can I just say, the best thing about the show is the intro and outro being that <laughs> music video. That sounds so perfect, like mid-90s mainstream country music. And I love all the, like, this footage around Nashville the first time in the show, some of the landmarks, and then, like, at the end, they do the same sort of video, but they put in footage from on the event, and I thought that was great. That is something I appreciate. I, I always love the song, but I appreciated the footage a lot more since I've known you. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> I've told you ad nauseum about the different landmarks. And, that. <laughs> and, and this is very, I, I always found it interesting that, you know, they are the World Wrestling Federation and all that kind of stuff, but they didn't really try to be worldwide on this event. Like, I love love it when they theme stuff, and I think they could have went a bit further with it, but they, they did it more than they would normally do. Um, and they did it tastefully though, like they could have, yeah. Some of the costumes are a bit dodgy, but they could have gone way <laughs> too far. When you dress people up, you, you end up running the risk of looking like me and Gene dressed as a fucking biker knock when he was at a road wild and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, how, how uh, square do you think Vince looks on this? <laughs> oh, incredibly. I, I wanted to say something about that actually. I first thought Jerry having the crown on his hat was hilarious, it is actually a really nice hat, but you don't notice it for that fucking stupid crown that's on it but like Jerry really suits the bolo as you'd expect like he's the king of Memphis he is a Tennessee man Vince McMahon looks like you know when there's a geek accountant and they've just they've, they've just gone to like a festival it's like the first line dance festival or something and they've just gone to the stand and been like give me one of everything and then put it all on and they still look like a fucking accountant but in cowboy clothes that is how Vince McMahon looked to me there but to be fair to Vince his uh, intro is so epic and brilliant. I'm used to him just talking shit. That was a fantastic intro. He did some little poem. I was just about to say exactly that. Yeah. Like a city where stars are born and, you know, uh, 
like stars on the summer night sky and all that kind of stuff. Like, it was, yeah, it was yeah, it was good. it was tremendous. It was like uh, I wondered if the Ultimate Warrior had written it for him, and then he just <laughs> turned it around and made it coherent with the music behind it as well. It did really give it some energy, I think, and um, it got me pumped up like I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and and he says about because uh, Jerry Lawler says he got the uh, the the crown from Garth Brooks, and uh, Vince says uh, Jerry Lawler was Minnie Pearl's favorite wrestler. And if you don't believe how do yeah, he's got the price tag on the back of his hat to prove it. So. <laughs> I like the hee-haw references. It was genuinely funny and, like, (laughs) correct. It's easy to forget. Isn't Vince from somewhere like Carolina, really, though? He's from uh, somewhere in North Carolina, yeah. Uh, There you go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and he's just like, he's a a bit of a sellout, really, but in reality, he should should know these things. You know what I mean? Lola, like, comes back with a great line. He's like, "Uh, do you know how to two-step? And he's like, yeah, I know how to put one foot in front of the other. And he's like, well, why don't you fuck off? (laughs) <laughs> Not exactly using those words, but uh... but it is that old joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we go straight into the uh, the one two three kid match, which is uh, interesting to say the least. Now the the um, I can <laughs> never remember the announcer Manny something. I can never remember his name, but he was kind of the ring announcer of nineteen ninety five. Um, and, yeah, I uh, didn't recognize him, but I, I avoid ninety five generally. I did want to ask you who he was or what his deal was. Yeah, I, d- I don't really know his background, to be honest, but because uh, Bill Dunn had come and gone by that point, the ring announcer from WrestleMania 10, most famously. Uh, but this Manny dude was devoid of any fucking personality. Like, I don't know where they found him or why they decided to use him and why the thing wasn't there. Um, he suited the clothes, though. <laughs> That's one thing I would have given him. He did suit the clothes. He did. Um, God, did, uh, he might have done SummerSlam. He did Survivor Series. He did a lot in 1995, actually, this Manny dude. Uh, so I don't know if Fink was ill or if they just decided to take him off the road for a bit. But he just I, refused I, to dress as a cowboy. <laughs> well, I do think that, that it might have been a part of this whole new generation um, campaign, I guess, even have a new ring announcer. But I can't imagine that, you know, I mean, obviously it didn't last long. And then they realized that Fink was, you know... Infinitely the, better. I... Yeah. Um, as I throw the ball to me cat. Like, I, I swear <laughs> these cats come in at the worst possible time. He wants to play football now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, one, one, two, three kid uh, comes out and then we're, it's the, well, actually, dark match. And I've never seen this, but we'll go over this uh, very quickly. Uh, Skip, who had uh, just made his debut at this point with Sonny, uh, defeated Aldo Montoya. Now, I had the crowd on their feet. <laughs> um, because bear in mind. The <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only like five matches on the pay-per-view, so there's of course going to be some dark matches and there's some post-show dark matches as well. But yeah, Rody uh against the one, two, three kid, which is uh which is very interesting because uh, Rody's gonna uh, play a pivotal part in this entire night. And um he does, doesn't he? Yes. And and could it be argued that the Rody's maybe not exactly coherent during this match. I <laughs> uh, definitely, I just wanted to say at the start as well, fuck me, that theme that Jarrett and the roadie were using sucked. Like it is not as bad as the really, really horrible WCW one with the MIDI fiddles on or middles. Yeah. But it's like, 
it sounds the one that he's got here sounds like the kind of background music you'd hear at like a kid's cowboy attraction. <laughs> so, you know, if you're in like the Western town in Disneyland and you're like, let's look in the saloon, partner. Do, 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 do. And the music's just fucking terrible. <laughs> like later on, the band even play it and you're like, all right. So it turns out when it's played by a real band, it's still shit. <laughs> it's still like shit, that. but it had something at least a bit more to it when the band were playing that, which isn't saying much, but like uh, real instruments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the, I mean, they were really kind of, I mean, if you if you hear Jarrett as well, they were really obviously getting behind the Jarrett and Rhodey as characters. You know, Jarrett was in the Connell Champion, but they were obviously building towards what would have been their match at SummerSlam. And uh, considering Rhodey hadn't been on TV that long, really, he's, he's had two pay-per-view matches in a row. And um, and there were two very good matches as well, uh, besides, you know, any potential, uh, you know, like I say, incoherentness of uh, of the roadie. But um... we've stoned a lot at the time, roadie. Like it, it, I was listening to Jared talk about it the other day because I didn't realise we were on an anniversary of this. So um, the I think it was on the My World podcast. I heard yeah. Jared was talking about how. Rody was like one of the reasons they'd buggered off was Rody wasn't able to pass a drug test, but I don't think it was going to be like anything bad. It was just like he was smoking weed, like it was no big deal. But I don't know. I mean, you could probably guess that by looking at him having that hair of every white girl who <laughs> white guy, sorry, who approaches you at a party to talk to you about philosophy while he's stoned. So like <laughs> that hair was a dead, dead giveaway. <laughs> Either that or the fucking terrifying clothes he had on where he had like the black and white magic eye picture with Aztec pants that he was like made into a suit. His clothes are scary there. And yeah, never totally understand. I mean, I get that he wore like a Jarrett shirt and like the baggy pants because roadies have to wear comfortable clothes, I guess. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, He's the flashiest looking roadie I ever saw. <laughs> Um, this match and, and it's interesting as well that one two three kid would open two pay per views in a row. So I think they knew that they had. To, I think honestly they knew that they had to do better than King of the Ring '95 um, because there was kids a, on form here as well. Yeah, there was a, and he had just returned it as well. There was a raw uh, just after King of the Ring '95 where Vince because AOL had just started at this point. So Vince was like, "Yep, we've heard you. <laughs> we've heard your feedback, <laughs> and uh, we're going to do better." <laughs> So I think and AOL, AOL were like, thank you for that. We'll kill WCW one day. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, the fact that the WWF merchandise from that time with AOL's logo on it is. Uh... <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, the, I mean, a very fast paced match. Roadie's on form. The crowd are massively into it. They, they keep cutting back to Jeff, who's not even looking at the screen because he's. Uh, trying to calm down his back and singers. <laughs> I wish they hadn't done that, you know. It's like probably the most dynamic match on the card, even yeah. though it's clumsy as fuck. Yeah. There's like, they cut away from it twice. Like, this is the opening match in a pay-per-view. Like, I, I want to get excited and it gets to be set up for the rest of the day, so stop fucking cutting away. The first yeah. cutaway is not even picture in picture. It's just Jarrett <laughs> poncing around, dressed like he's got a sequin bin bag for a top and Shania Twain's trousers on. That's like... No, I don't need to see this. Get back to the match. <laughs> yeah, I never. Um, I mean, I get it to a point, but like, yeah, what it, it shouldn't have been done. Um, they could have showed the clips like after the match or something like that. Of uh, totally. yeah, and and I never understood as well because they cut back and the, the they've got the camera on Jarrett, but he's watch. There's a monitor in the room, and the camera isn't on Jarrett. It's on the match. 
Like, do backstage mm-hmm. monitors that people watch have a different feed? I never liked that, to be honest, on anything. Um, to be fair, it is possible, though. Yes, yeah. No, it, no, you, it you, is you don't have to be watching the TV feed. Like, when I used to do plays, you used to have, like, a, a, a feed there so you knew what was going on in that. Uh-huh. And you could see what was happening in the ring and you weren't seeing the TV show live. It is annoying. And it's something people point out all the time. But I don't know, like it's something that's very possible in like theatre and TV and that. So I don't see why it wouldn't be possible in wrestling that you have just a feed from the ring that might be like one camera or some shit. It's lame when you see a wrestler watching the telly and then it's showing you other footage of like the TV show because then you're like, yeah, that's not fucking possible. But just having the action, the match going on, I can get away with it. Yeah, and at least he's not doing that sort of adjacent to the monitor yeah, let the fucking camera look at it. Hmm, stroking his chin. Because if you ever stand adjacent to a monitor, you stroke your chin. You'll notice that now and never be able to not notice it. <laughs> um, so, except for the finish of the uh, the match, which was one of the more brutal finishes, I think, because Kid had just come back off a broken neck. So for them to do this is just mental. Um, what have a note? He just have? had his neck broken. Fucking hell, that was a dangerous way to end that. This, this whole match has an extra layer of terror then that I didn't know about when I watched it. His neck was broke. Fucking hell. It yeah. sets the tone early on when Rody falls flat on his face for a drop to hold. Oh, well, I know he goes for a leapfrog as well and he just like... It, oh, it, that's it. Sorry, yeah, it's a leapfrog, isn't it? Yeah. It just looks like a drop to hold. Because <laughs> he goes up and goes, no, bang, down on his face. <laughs> Um, I had to think, you know, when they're showing you, Jarrett, like, has their costume department ever even seen a country singer? Like, they've, got a, <laughs> they've got a roadie that looks like this, and then they've got Jarrett looking like that. But, oh, yeah, I know. The finish did look fucking terrifying. I had that as a note. Yeah, who was that uh, That sort of Vegas uh, guy who was on Wayne's World and on the Jarrett promos with the tash and white hair? The really camp dude. Oh, Oh man, that's gonna do me head and now. He's in <laughs> he's in jackass as well, isn't he? In the boat. Was he yes, called he Rip is. Summit? Oh god, Rip Tyler or something? Oh god, that's gonna God i I should know this. I shouldn't say stuff if I don't know it, to be fair. But like it does you know look, I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> it does it does look like he dressed him. Like <laughs> um, I don't say that. You know, I loved at the end of this when uh Rody goes to do the mic check and the band just like stop playing. They're not playing at all, but that awful theme music's blasting over the PA. And he just goes to the mic and goes, Mike, check one, two, yep. <laughs> just hands it over. I was like, that's about the level on so many gigs I've played when you're playing with other bands. And they're like, four <laughs> bands on, sell your own tickets. Fucking like, none of you match up. Like, you're a country band and you're on with a death metal band and a drum and bass act. And I was like, Mike, check one, two, right, everybody go. Very unprofessional to do that in front of the entire audience while the show's on. As well, <laughs> I know. Couldn't you fucking done that earlier? Shite, Rody. <laughs> so yeah, the, the finish of the match, Rody, and I've never seen this before or since. And if it has happened I've, again, I've never seen it. Please feel free to uh, write in and let us know. But uh, Canyon used to do this move beautifully. Can I just say? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, this, this is not beautiful. This is mortifying. <laughs> this match. He basically goes for a pile, like a sit out pile driver from the second rope, but he kind of he doesn't. Like, he doesn't land flat. He kind of, like, jumps off the rope and then takes a few steps back. But because of that, Kid's head just spikes into the floor. Um, when he's in the air and you see Kid's head, you know that there's terror coming. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was insane. And I think it's one of those moves that I think Vince would have been like, well, if Rody had stuck around, I think Vince would have been like, nope, uh, don't do that anymore, please. Uh, but Kid was up for it because he took it, but... 
Jeez. Oh, he's mad bastard. Like it was, uh, it was mental. But uh, yeah, so we. Uh, I mean, have you got anything? Uh, what What did Mason think? Oh, I didn't watch this one with Mason. I'm afraid he's away at his dad, so I've just been saving him for the 2000 ones. No, the crowd go. Um, was... <laughs> I'm not listening to this boring twat. If I can't hear the kid. <laughs> um, so uh, before the uh, the uh, the tag match, the the stinker tag match with uh, men on a mission against Razor and Savio. Um, I'm glad it's not just me who thought that sucked, but I have a few funny comments from that. Oh, match. I bet you have. Um, so before that, it's the. Uh, is it Todd on stage? Yes, you briefly get Todd Pettengill being shouted at to by Ted DiBiase while the camera keeps zooming in and out of Sid's nostrils while he looks very sweaty and intense. <laughs> oh, well, then... I can't remember what was said. I was just getting nostril, nostril, nostril. And there is another slight little cutaway after that, unless there was something you wanted to tell me. Well, no, the, well then that isn't on the Coliseum video version then. Um, is it not? No, because the bit that I know, unless it was after this match, um, was uh, Todd on stage doing the drum solos. Um, that happens later. That happens later. So yeah, this is this is not on the video. Um, oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, it's just a short promo. I don't remember anything about the promo, so I guess it didn't go anywhere. Anywhere. I just remember how much the camera kept zooming in and out and on uh, Sid's face, and then it like nearly goes up his nose, like in a space by the end of it. <laughs> So then you get um, another bit. I don't know if this is on the video, but there's a dude who I have never seen before in a proper homemade-looking shirt for the event, and he's, like, shilling it in Diesel's locker room while loads of giant people make loads of racket, and he's trying to push through them, like, please buy this horrible shirt. Barry Dudinsky, yeah. He was kind of like the uh, the Don West of his time, I guess. He was uh, the merchandise guy. Um yeah, he would. I can't believe they do this on pay per view, to be honest. But uh, and these were always cut out of the video because it would always be called this number. Um, so they've cut out Shawn Michaels' entrances on pay per views because he'll go up to him and then wear his cap and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, that's coming. Yeah, I think he became a professional poker player, you know, Barry did it. Yeah, um, like a proper ranked uh, poker player. But he, I don't think wrestling was necessarily his back, I think it was just like sales. Um, yeah, I said Don West was in sales, but he was in like TV sales, and like that motherfucker could shout. Like if he if he was on here, you would have heard him in that uh, dressing room. Whereas this Dudinsky dude was just a bit lost, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, and and the person who took off over from that really was uh, Doc Hendricks um, in terms of advertising the the gear. So I guess it made sense to just have someone on contract shill your gear instead of this uh, Barry Dudinsky. I thought Doc was a better shill anyway. Yes, I've, yeah, he was, he was. Um, but I mean, I, I love seeing those because they're on all the rows on the network, and it would be everything from pogs to t-shirts to you know. Uh, and I bet he gave away like a free classic video. That was always the deal. Uh, if you bought the shirt and all that kind of stuff, um, like the the in your house t-shirts weren't that impressive. They were just white t-shirts with like a reasonably plain picture on the front. Whereas like the big pay-per-views like SummerSlam, there would be a bit more effort put into them. Um, I probably looked homemade, like you buy it on the market stall. So did the Sean Michaels t shirt he sells later because he actually has two, two shill bits. And Sean oh, comes out in the shirt later, and you're like, Oh, Sean, don't do it. That's fun. Um, well, that's not on the tape either. So. <laughs> um, so the one thing that before we get into the tag match, uh, which I've, I've only ever seen a tiny clip of, but it's never been on any other version. And I, I did remember watching the network version 
hoping this would be on, and it wasn't. Um, Harvey Whippleman and Bertha Faye go on the, the band stage, and they play Harvey's, they play Bertha Faye's theme music, and Harvey sings it to her. That definitely didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been fucking mad. They really did that in front of a live crowd. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing it was pre-show, because I don't think you'd end your night with it. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Was it that? Bertha Faye <laughs> Oh man, what what a poor lass to get given that character where instead of being like a big hard-hitting beast like she was in Japan, it's like, all right, you're a big fat clown who Harvey Whippleman's in love with. Just shows how little respect they had for female performers. Well, do you remember her actual debut when she attacked Alundra Blaze? And broke yeah, no, her I don't. Well, she came in dressed like that as Bronda Singh um, with the leather pants and the makeup and everything. And then after that night, she just became Bertha Faye. Um just keep her as Rhonda Singh, man. Rhonda Singh was a legit beast. Yeah. Bertha Faye is just a weird character. Well, she looks a bit like that Yerp or the clown that Foley's <laughs> friends with later, but like gigantic. Well, it was 1995 WWF, wasn't it? It was just that to a to a teacher here. Something in the water in 95, to be fair, because WCW is really dumb as well. <laughs> the same year. Well, she did not like the character. She didn't feel comfortable in it. Um how could you? No, yeah. When you're basically being the commentary was all just making fat jokes about her all the time as well, the poor woman. Yeah, well, they, they did it. Um, oh, the, one of those WWF magazine articles where it's Skip and Sonny as the body donors, and they're trying to get Bertha Faye to lose weight, and uh, she's oh, just no. sat on she's sat on Harvey Whitman, who's trying to do press ups with her on her back, and uh, she's just drinking coke and eating popcorn and stuff like that, and it's just like, fuck. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, so anyway, grim. Razor and Savio, who had made his debut two months... I mean, God, don't get us wrong, I like Savio Vega, but fuck me, did they try and push him down people's throats. Like, people think Rocky Maivia was uh, pushed down people's throats, but four matches in one night from Savio, and then... Uh, <laughs> I like Savio, but that's overload on anyone. Like like we just talked about on the Great American Bash, I'm like, I could get sick of watching Dr. Death in a night on that, <laughs> so I'm definitely getting sick of watching Savio Vega, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, he's in this uh, tag match against men on a mission, which is kind of the blow-off match. Um, to is that because it fucking blew? <laughs> <laughs> well, this was Mo's last match on pay per view. Uh, he didn't really have even many matches on TV after this. Um, didn't do no more. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so yeah, the razor comes out with the rib uh, bandage on, and then he takes it off, and he's like, "Ha ha." Joking. Um, <laughs> Fooled you, it's my trick rib. <laughs> I've got a spare rib. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I don't know if much can be said about this match, really, um, except for Mabel taking the, the flare bump off the top rope, which I thought was quite impressive. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, what I, My first thought of seeing men on a mission come out was just, God help us all. <laughs> <laughs> they even... They, they've just set them up to fail because they give you footage of the King of the Ring at the start and I was like surely there's not a person alive who wants to see that but I mean Mabel goes and shows the crowd to the crowd to get some good heat because they're all like boo King of the Ring was fucking terrible <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I found myself just amusing myself with shit that was happening in the match not the actual match itself like right. oh what was it they kept saying oh there was something that they kept saying on commentary that sounded like the Ermey Gerd voice I can't remember what he was saying I think it was Sumo but he was like, shame, eh? <laughs> just the way he was saying it, making us laugh. But I mean, it wasn't as bad as I expected, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's just so distracting seeing a like 500 pound dude and 
purple silk with gold ends on, <laughs> looking like the movie mascot from Clerks 2. Oh, and also Savio Vega, he does the most hilarious sell while he's lying on the floor. And he's like trying to twitch or something after he's been splashed. But his hands just start going around doing that little Gloria Estefan dance. He's like, come on, you're fatty. And I was just like, what are you doing, man? You're supposed to be in pain. Other than that, no, it was just a bit shit. He'd been wearing a mask for too long as Quang, so he didn't know how to make facials anymore, I guess. Um, <laughs> so yeah. he had to do little cha-chas on the floor. <laughs> well, he's dancing all the time, isn't he, to samba music. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, Interest, interesting fact is uh, Savio makes his debut on my birthday on the first in your house the night before he wrestles at the Boston Garden in their last ever show at the Boston Garden as Quang. Um, send them out on a high. <laughs> well, it makes you wonder if there were any Quang matches post that Boston, whether he was doing like double duty because I guess people may not have known. Um, I wouldn't have known to be fair at the time. Like, I don't know, just because I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like when they have Brawler go out as able to bowl Schwartz and stuff like that, just haven't pulled double G. Or when, you know, at Butland's wrestling, they would have the bloke dressed as the Power Ranger come out the next night as the, you know, the baby face without the mask and stuff like that. You know, a cast of four to have about eight matches. <laughs> <laughs> WWE are still doing that today because for some reason they seem to be dressing Nicky Cross up as Banana Man at the minute. <laughs> Uh, um, yes, yeah, so again, I think that's all we can really say about that match, which is a shame. But Mabel obviously got the pin because they're pushing them quite heavily uh, for SummerSlam. You know, they've got to put the money where the mouth is, I guess. Um, <laughs> Todd Pettengill puts it over with that segment afterwards, though, because you're like, by God, that was a boring match. But then it's okay because you get to watch Todd Pettengill pretend to be a drum for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he that then made you pine for the match to be back. And he's like, what about if you went, and he just starts, like, making turkey gobble noises, and the drummer's just thinking, what are you fucking playing at, Todd? I did ask Todd about that, and he said he had fun. <laughs> I, I remember. <laughs> he did look like he was having fun, and the drummers just start sucking like, fuck off, man, move on. <laughs> Telling this world-class drummer what to do, you know. Um, I don't know. So the last one, because he, he cuts to Doc, who's backstage with uh, Diesel's uh, Lumberjacks. And, oh, um, I mean, Diesel's not backstage, just the Lumberjacks. And... Uh, the way Todd, I mean, it's one of the most cheesiest uh, links back to backstage because the last fill he asked for was ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum, and then he goes, let's go, as he pointed to the camera, and I'm like, oh, Todd. <laughs> oh, Todd. What is that? <laughs> I mean, uh, for what it's worth, that's the first pay-per-view since he got his mullet cut. At the the, the request of Scott Hall, he was like, that's my gimmick. Um, <laughs> I wondered why he got rid of that illustrious mullet because I, I wasn't loving the just, like, just-for-men black shorts. <laughs> straight up like Gary Rhodes hair that he had there. Yeah, Scott Hall asked. He was like, yeah, don't do it anymore, please. Um, That's just stupid. Like, nobody's going to look at Todd Pettengill and be like, oh, he looks just like Razor Ramon. Well, <laughs> I guess, you know, if you see like nerdy old Todd with that hair, uh, you know, kind of maybe takes the shine away from Razor maybe if he's interviewing him. Um, I think if you're bothered about have the nerd having cool hair, you want to uh, check your own level of coolness, really. Ah, no, that's true. That's true. And the thing, I mean, he admits as well, 95 was his fatty air. Uh, so he hadn't quite lost the weight, but at least he got Good his Todd's. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I didn't you, think he looked fat there. Like, he said he put on like 50 pounds like over the course of that year. Um, and yeah. Backstage, people were just like, have a fucking salad. And he was like, yeah. I probably <laughs> <could>. um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, uh, the, the sort of tease 
uh, that someone may have sold out to the million dollar corporation. And of course, no one did. Um, but it's all of the, the backstage, like Doc trying to stir shit. Um, mm. You know, saying Man Mountain Rock, he's like, oh, I heard, you know, MTV's having a big tour and you might be playing it with Teddy Biasi's money behind you. And he's just like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, if I was playing MTV, they'd be paying it. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, Michael, you made an album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> less said about that, the better, I think. But um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the basically uh, all denied that they were going to be uh, part of the million dollar corporation, and fair enough. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll it was take a pretty them. pointless segment, wasn't it? We'll take them at the word, I guess. Um, <laughs> so uh, we, I mean, we we'll go from there because I mean, this thing moves at a pace. Uh, we'll go to uh, the highlight of the night, uh, probably the most famous part of the night: Jeff Jarrett's performance of "With My Baby Tonight." That was the highlight of the night. Though I noticed this was where the band stopped playing his entrance music when he comes up and you're like, yep, it's not any better live either. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that they've played with my baby tonight instead of that song afterwards. But I, uh, King says, Jarrett's better than Garth Brooks and Kenny Rogers before he starts singing solos. Not like the pressure of expectation before you get started. Is <laughs> um, yeah, Jarrett is... Uh... I mean, he's on. The thing is, the Jarrett thing, he never really got heat that much as that Double J character, no matter what he says. I don't think mm. he. Because um, why would you necessarily hate someone who wanted to use wrestling as a stepping stone to country music, unless it's you who like really holds that against him? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I can see why I would be in the specific thing. Yeah, that would hold it against him, but like that's a very niche crowd to piss off. <laughs> so yeah, and, but, I mean, but you know what it is. So Jarrett loves country music so much that might have been his thinking. Like you can even tell with these great references. Like when he goes on the stage, obviously Jerry's been making loads of country references, but they're always turbo famous, like Garth or Minnie or Kenny and stuff like that. But um, Jarrett brings up Buddy Lee. Do you know who Buddy Lee is? I don't want to just mansplain you if you already know. He was a he was a promoter, wasn't he? Yeah, he had he had an agency called Buddy Lee Attractions. And they're well, didn't they sign Elvis? They massive. I didn't know if they had Elvis, but I, I only know the countryside of it really. But I know they did do some rock stuff. But like right. they had great acts on their books, like Garth Brooks, the Dixie Chicks, George Strait, Willie Nelson, Clay Walker, Tracy Lawrence, and Laurie Morgan. And they also had Florida Georgia Line and Jason Aldean. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that that's something that is for that crowd. Like that Nashville crowd will get that, and a load of other people just won't. And that like shows Jared does really know the stuff he's playing. Yeah, that's what made the uh, his early vignettes so good as well. There was there was a degree yeah, tremendous of, of legitimacy behind them because he's complaining about the things you complain about. Like how shite country music's gotten, you name check some artists and stuff like that. And uh moaning about pop country and not getting a foot in because it's all just pretty bullshit and that. I was just like, oh preach. <laughs> <laughs> um and I love those uh old Coke bottle glasses that you wore early on as well. You didn't keep those. Like, do you think he <laughs> went to, do you think as the double J character it got a you know a bit too ridiculous? Because it's it, you know, the country artists can be known to wear like glittery, sparkly, spangly nonsense. Do you think that you took mm. that a bit too far? Or I wanted to I wanted to bring that up actually because like obviously country traditionally has a lot of great flashy stuff in it, but like I don't know WWE got all of the flashy stuff wrong. 
Like when he comes out with that LED suit on that looks like the pair of trainers you always wanted as a kid that flash <laughs> when you walk. When he like comes out with that and the hat and the glasses that all flash. And Jerry Lawless, like, trying to compare him to Porter Wagner. You were like, this is not a nudie suit. Like, what on earth is this hideous flattering monstrosity? Like, you might have got more heat if they made him look like a real country singer. Like, have him coming out looking like Porter Wagner with the, like, pompadour hair and the, uh, yeah. and the nudie suit and that. And then it would be legit rather than the kind of strange glow stick version of a country singer that he was. Yeah, it's kind of weird because... He had that gimmick until the match started, and then there was never really any references to his gimmick, his music. I mean, he did the strut and everything, but there wasn't really much, you know. It's just Jackie Fargo, anyway. Yeah, well, that's true. And his matches did do the talking for him, as this match tonight does, because it's fucking amazing. But we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about the performance uh, uh, first. I love this live arrangement of "With My Baby Tonight." It fucking rocks, like, in the best possible way. It's like, you know, you know country arrangements. That sort of, is it a slide guitar, the thing that you they put on the lap? What do they call that? The That's a lap steel. Lap steel. Put it on your lap. Um, that really adds to it. And uh, in that band, as we've uh, mentioned before, is Big Al from NRBQ, uh, who did mm. the Captain Lou song and uh, and some other things for WWF. And uh, they're, they're just on fire. It's, it's kind of a weird thing, though, because... I can't tell whether they are miming this. They may be. They may have done. I like don't an... think they are. You know. Well, my thinking is like the old top of the pops. Like back in the day, bands would re-record their songs in in a live way. That's why you yeah. get like Queen at the BBC CDs and David Bowie CDs at the BBC. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, Jarrett's miming. That's the thing. So either they're playing to a click track, or the whole band. The, the only thing for me is like this there's parts towards the end. And it's all, like it's quite uncountry. You don't know when you were saying about the arrangement. In country, you need to leave space. You have a lot of different instruments in the band at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so you leave space for each other. And there's times to, as it gets towards the end where they're all just fucking going for it and it starts to get a bit cacophonous. And that made me feel like they were really doing it live and they're all it's it's like the thing people moan about indie wrestlers. Gotta get your shit in. And we're all like <laughs> trying to get their shit in at the end of that song. In, in there were no violins during this as well, but I, I mean, were they playing violins? I can't even remember because it was the girls sing, playing violins. Wasn't I, it? I could hear a fiddle, but right. it's they're not playing as you would expect it. It's not like playing lead. There's like bits where it's just so on, like, duh, 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 and it's just like filling in. And there's bits mm-hmm. out where you think you don't need to be doing that, but that's just me being a specific country nerd there and hearing, like, no, you stop now. No, that's your turn. You know what I mean? And like, someone's trying to play a guitar solo at the same time as someone's playing slide, and you're like, ah, stop it. There, there is a lot going on during that song. Uh, during that, it's great. It's great, though. It is great. Um, and I mean, did it need Vince and Jerry's commentary over the top while the definitely playing? Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because the thing is at the start, like, Jared does a few lines and Jerry Lowe's like, what do you think? Because he's, like, just fucking, you know, thrilled that, he, that he's getting a chance to finally sing on TV. Um, they built an entire role once around Jared was going to come to the ring and sing, and then he obviously... Did he didn't. keep crying off? Uh, I think I've seen that one. Um, so Vince, I mean, he says something during the solo, but when, when Big Al's doing his guitar solo, he's like, will you be rocking? And I'm just like, shut up, Vince. Like, shut up, Vince. <laughs> Definitely. Also, you don't shout that in a country gig. <laughs> just fuck off, Vince. <laughs> um, but 
amazing. I love it. And Jarrett did an amazing job of miming. Now, when yeah, and Tally loved it, you can yeah. tell how excited he was to be with like a live band well, in they... like the auditorium playing in front of a Nashville crowd. That looked like he was ticking a bucket list. Yeah. Well, when they do the um on the last chorus, when they get the extreme close up of him, and he's got his hand out and he's just like, well, wait, come in. And it's only the drums behind him. Like mm. that would have, I guess it wouldn't have mattered within the storyline context if his miming was a bit off. Because a year later, when they brought back the real Double J, um, they moved little things out of sync. And it was partly to Barry Jarrett because he was in WCW. Um, but they There's kind really of... really vanilla in him. Yeah, and, and that was going to be the storyline anyway. But you can't really tell that he's miming here. He does such a good job. There's little bits where I can tell just because he's... It's something people often do when they mime if they're not a singer, but they overact singing. Right. Did you notice there's a few bits like that? But he looks also to like the the untrained eye. He really looks like he's doing it. Like this bit when he when he grabs it and he proper like goes for it and that while he's miming. Like mm. it, it it's impressive, especially yeah. if you think he's not a singer at all. Yeah, and there are little. I mean, you know, it's not just the band that's different. You know the. Uh, the the way the vocals are arranged are slightly different as well. So he's had to learn a new performance of this. Yeah. Um, which which I find quite impressive. And again, to mime it like reasonably convincingly. Um, but it kind of like well, this should have been pyro. There should have been more than what there was because when the song ends, it's great. But then again, like you say, it cuts back to the fart yelled violin. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he basically brags as he should he's like you know go and get your crow and all that sort of thing and uh... he tells him that at the start as well so everybody's <laughs> ready for him to fail and i just love that he then does it class i know he's miming but you can just tell people are shocked you know, like when they interview them later like what did you think of that and people are begrudgingly like ah it was quite good wasn't it <laughs> that is one of my highlights it cuts straight to todd who's asking people's opinions in the audience and it doesn't get more real than just asking the crowd. You know, it's it's like when Mean Gene Oakland at the Slammy Awards, he would walk around the streets of New York and he would legitimately ask people, who do you think is going to win the Slammy for like fucking biggest muscles or something? He's just, the, the people are like, who are you? <laughs> like, you know, um, <laughs> so this crowd, Get away I mean, from me, Robert Goulet, don't talk about my muscles. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Todd's asking the crowd and... Uh, uh, God, I, I know some of these verbatim. Some, one of them's like, he's a killer. <laughs> like, you know, because he's really <laughs> impressed. And the other one says, he stinks. And the kid's like, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, he's pretty good. And then the, good. some woman was just like, you know, loved him as well. And uh, yeah, no, good stuff. And then obviously. She looks like she's had an epiphany, doesn't she? That <laughs> she's just like, hey, oh, he was actually so good. I loved it. <laughs> do, you think that, do you think that legit turned anyone on to country music? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know those things I was going to say to you when we were talking about the song that made it sound better? Mm-hmm. Is um, the only thing I don't like on the real recorded version is I hate the backing vocals, and they are not as obtrusive when they did it live with those lasses singing. Yeah, that was something that I thought made the song really get over well, and probably helped you not notice he was miming because those lasses were singing properly. Yeah, they were. And and there's uh, the, the bridge as well. Never knew that Luca takes so long. He doesn't attempt to sing the high note on this, which again adds to me the realism because the, the, it's the girls who sing the high notes on that. Um, yeah. You know, because it, it, 
I guess they're trying to make it come across as if he, he doesn't want to take a massive risk with the vocals and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's great that that version should get released sometime. Um, it was good. Like what I wanted to ask you because you're the tape master. Mm-hmm. After this bit with Todd here on the tape, does it go straight to Bam Bam and Godwin, or is there the advert? No, it goes straight to Bam Bam and Godwin. Oh, mate, there's a fucking wonderful advert for SummerSlam. <laughs> Right, it's it, it's done like country style and that, and they're like out in the desert, and it's a proper cliched like Route sixty six style image, and there's like an old petrol station where there's two old gadgies sitting out on the geek rocking chairs, like they're whittling or something outside, and there's an old wifey, and Kevin Nash like pulls up in a muscle car or a truck or something super America, I can't remember, and he like leans out the window and he's like. Hey, and like him driving up and like SummerSlam coming on the telly at the same time makes all the oldies turn into young people. And like the woman <laughs> becomes proper beautiful. He's like, Where are you going? Do you want to go to SummerSlam? And she like jumps in the vehicle with him <laughs> and he speeds off. And as he speeds off down the road, the two old gadgets, like the advert for SummerSlam, finishes on their telly uh. and they turn back into old gadgets. And I just really wanted the idea that this fucking beautiful young woman who he's got in the car and he's like reaching over like, hey, baby, you want some big sexy? And she goes like she's drank the wrong chalice from the last crusade and just goes <laughs> and turns back into your grandma in his truck. <laughs> just be amazing. <laughs> oh, they should have kept that on the video, certainly. But well, there is a photo shoot of Nash stood at that uh, the gas station. Um, so they done it. They did it for that because I've seen that photo quite a lot, and I think they put it on posters <laughs> and that. But that's have a deeks on the network. It's fabulous. I will. I will. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing is, on the video, the edit is so seamless because Todd's talking, and Godwin's music starts. So you think that is just you know cut straight from there to the because some of the edits are so clunky on these Coliseum videos. Um, but yeah, the the they go straight from that on the video to the the Henry Godwin. Bam Bam Bigelow match, which I mean, and Henry's been a guest and love him. And you know, Bam Bam Bigelow, one of the best big men ever, but this does not work. Um, I felt like I wanted to like this because I like the Godwins, and obviously, the Godwins are a friend of the show. And mm-hmm. Bam Bam is like a childhood favorite, but it just never clicked. Part of what was putting me off as well is if you had a drinking game where you had to have a shot every time Vince said the phrase hog farmer, you'd fucking die twice. There's in sentences, he's like, the big burly hog farmer, what will the hog farmer do? The big strong hog farmer, he's such a strong, rugged hog farmer. I was like, Vince, are you got a fucking boner for pig farmers or something? Like, what is this? He just he says the phrase so many times in this match. It was proper pissing me off and I could hardly focus on it. The commentary does actually spoil this quite a bit because then they just start randomly making another one of those proper shite spurious Clinton references that they do loads in that period for some reason. I'm like, oh, you're detracting so much from this match when you should be putting it over. Oh, well, they're both from Arkansas, aren't they? Yeah, but I mean, so fuck, that spurious is out. Uh, Yeah, but I mean, that's just Vince on commentary. Have you ever seen any of those? It's Jerry who does it, though. Oh, right, okay. (laughs) Well, have you ever seen any of those roles that weren't live in like 94, 95? They would do live commentary over taped shows and uh, and it would be broadcast that way, but they would read the newspaper from that day just to show, oh, this is live, even though it definitely wasn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never honest... noticed the paper thing. Oh. Actually, did they do that when they had paper on Superstars? I wouldn't be surprised. That rings a vague bell now you're mentioning that. You know, like when 
I was going to say when you have. I've never kidnapped anyone. You know, when you've like, you kidnapped someone and you send them the video and you're like, here's today's paper, I have your woman. You know what I mean? Like, it always felt like that because Piper's got that sinister fucking glary stare. It's really like shoehorned in as well. Like some of the Aye, uh, stories and nothing to do with wrestling whatsoever. It's, yeah, it's quite bad. Um, so the, the Bam Bam Godwin match, like the... They were teasing that Henry Godwin may join the Million Dollar Corporation, but it turns out they were just kind of using him to try and take out Bam Bam and Diesel and that. And um, and he was never promised, or he never got any title shots that he was promised, I don't think, um, from the corporation, certainly. Um, and then that led to Henry Godwin turning face at the next, before the next in your house, but he like slops Million Dollar Man a couple of times, which, are, which is really fun. Because uh, I think the heel Henry Godwin character what probably wasn't going anywhere when not in a you know a really high profile feud uh so i agree fa- i had no reason to build them like yeah. they're they're farmers you know what i mean like i, I like farmers like yeah they're not like an evil farmer or something it's, it's just a fella in dungas and a nice hat like i'm not gonna go <laughs> you know what i mean um so godwin misses a knee drop off the second rope which is because there's very little reaction to bam bam you know uh turning the match round, it, it's kind of awkward and Godwin kind of oversells it. Um, mm-hmm. He like screams out loud and um, it, it, it's... And you hear him walk the crowds, can he deed as well? Yeah. Uh, the knee drop off the rope was the, the thing that I definitely remember from this and then Bam Bam kind of makes quick work of him. Um, the good thing about that match is it doesn't stay around long enough to piss you off. No, true. And I guess you need that kind of well, I say that, but I mean, the building up to the Intercontinental title match, that doesn't necessarily mean a match should be slow and bad or whatever, but I think it was just maybe too much of a clash of styles or maybe it might have worked better if Bam Bam was the heel because Bam Bam was the face and WWF didn't work, uh, really. Um, and if Godwin was the face or something like that, it may have worked a bit better because Bam Bam wrestled mm. better as a heel as well. And, Definitely. You know, Although as- that said, that said, I really like that late... Nitro period when he's a face, you know, and he's going against the young pretty boys like oh, uh, yeah. Stasiak and that because he can't do his flippy do's and all that anymore. He's just like beloved old Bam Bam Bigelow who's like beating up the pretty boys and trying to force him to get tattoos and that. And he's like, Yeah, go on, Bam Bam. So that's the time I did like him working as a face. Well, the, the thing is, as well, though, like Bam Bam, I'd imagine as a face in WCW, you still had some attitude to him. Whereas the oh, WWF... of course, he's beating people up and forcing them to get tattoos. <laughs> well, face <laughs> WWF Bam Bam Bigelow was kind of like face WWF Diesel, where he was just smiley and had no mean streak about him and just, you know, Big I think. And yeah, and yeah, and I think he probably knew that the push wasn't going to happen, and he kind of maybe you know zoned out a little bit, um, especially when you're fucking jobbing all the time as well. Which Aye. there's no way he should have been uh, doing that. But um, yeah, so we go from there. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Is there an interview after this? There's two little bits. There's a fun bit where as that match finishes. Rather than any kind of post-match, Bob Backlund's in the crowd oh, yes. <laughs> trying to convince some very 90s-looking children to vote, despite them being, like, half of the legal voting age. And then you get, like, a short interview with Sean Michaels and Todd Pettengill where Sean just talks shit and he forgets what he's saying and he can't say WWF and Todd tries to save him. And he's like, no, 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 the WWF's not changing its name. I thought it fucking is. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, Double J used to say the Double JF. As well, so yeah, I mean, Todd mentions that. I've got to say, Todd. I mean, when you can save Shawn Michaels on a promo, 
He's a DJ though, isn't he? He's, he was masterful the way Todd handled that. That's true. And you know what? I think Sean and Todd had one of the best chemi- chemistries of the interview and wrestler of probably the 90s outside of Gene Oakland. Todd has fun. Yeah. And so does Sean on those interviews. Well, he's a bit of a loose cannon. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, right. You know, he said it was his birthday the day before. No one rang him to wish him a happy birthday and stuff like that. And uh, like he's wearing, even for him, this is a fruity outfit. Like, <laughs> he's, he's almost at his gayest in this period, I think, you know, and he's got like the, the policeman hat and like the mirrory chaps and that. You're like, how mm. are you, Sean? The white and gold was, I mean, it was a hell of a look. The, he, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, he only wore this once, uh, but they saw fit to, four years later, use that outfit on the Attitude video game as one of his alternate costumes, which was uh, <laughs> which was quite fun. Um, but yeah, it's like sort of white tights with gold hearts with black tiger uh, stripes over the hearts. And the like you say, the chaps were white and uh, gold. And it kind of... I can't imagine any other city other than Nashville where this suit would look, where it would work. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> You can get away with it in Tennessee. <laughs> I think you can. And I mean, you know, Jarrett and Michaels, for considered two of the best workers in the company, I mean, they're definitely having a gay off with those costumes. And I can, ah, yeah. I can say that. <laughs> I wanted fine. to say that as well. Yeah. Like, I know they get this, there's a strong country music connotation with turquoise. You know, it's on like loads of the jewellery and buckles and bolos and that. But not turquoise gear that's like velvet fishing waders. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fucking hell was he wearing? You've already got onto your turner hair. Don't get velvet turquoise fishing waders. Like, my God, you're determined to do anything to get booed? Yeah, again, this is another outfit that I don't think I've seen before or since. Um, But I have a feeling, because, you know, it's a big match. So I think they you know, invested in some new gear, I guess. But yeah, the the velvet blue with like little black and white stripes as well. It was uh, it was something special. Oh, did, did you ever no. see the boots close up? Because they lit up as well, you know. Did they? I noticed he had like white Dolly Parton looking boots on. <laughs> How lost does Rody get during the, his intro for Jarrett? I was just going to say that intro shit. He sounded like he'd already been smoking a joint before he came out there. And you think how great he becomes on the mic as Road Dog. He just comes out and just rambles some bollocks until Jared comes out there. He do, and the thing is, because he, he gets lost, and then he does the the thing where all of his words catch up on him, but at the same time, because like within about two seconds, because I think Vince is probably <laughs> like buffered. Him, yeah. <laughs> I think Vince has given him the Iggy on commentary because Vince is like, get on with it. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> so he's like, the well, world And then Jarrett like finally comes out and uh, takes away any fucking heat from his intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely ruined. After that, then you have to come out doing the Fargo strut and entirely flash an LED. <laughs> Weird cowboy gear with your fishing waders on underneath. Like, my God, mate, no wonder you left that day. I mean, if you can change from the outfit you wore on stage to something more gaudy, that's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, like. Uh, Can I just say, why the fuck did he, as the champion, come out first? Like, I know Michaels can always play the Arnosh the Bosch card so that he gets to put his own way, but, like, coming out second when you're not the champion. Like, you don't need to bother bringing up Clinton references. There are clearly career politicians throughout this company. (laughs) (laughs) It is, um, yeah, it is. It is strange. Only Hogan really would be not champion and come out last. Uh, on I was the... actually thinking that earlier, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, they used to make a big deal of it as well. That like Mania Five Savage came out first as champion, but I, I guess they used it as a they have longer to show off in the ring, maybe's. But uh, bullshit, though. 
is bullshit. And, you know, I, I guess it's just one of those where they thought it would just have more of an impact if, you know, because you never saw Michael stood in the ring, you know what I mean, waiting for the opponent to come down. Um, even as a heel, because he was in the Connell Champion most of the time, he would be out last and then he would have more time to, you know, uh, do the strip tease and all that kind of thing. I guess it just, you know, I think it probably worked better because especially as well, you know, Michael's music has more of a punch to it than Jarrett's, unless he came out with My Baby Tonight, which he potentially should have. Should have. Yeah. I, I thought that. Um, but yeah, you've got that great band on stage and uh, like you say, <laughs> I love it because the violin goes a bit more off on one on this. So like, you know, you can tell the stick of playing the same three chords over and over again. <laughs> So yeah, the, the um, and the thing is as well is it 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 kind of falls flat as well because the instruments stop at different times. Um, <laughs> the, the violin goes on just a little bit too long as well, and it's just like oh. Um, but I guess it could be you know it won't have been, but you know because obviously it's Jarrett's night going from bad or from good to bad sort of thing. So maybe you could take that as this is an early sign of it. I know it's me looking into it far too much, but um. But this match is. Great. I think you knew he was losing the belt when Sean came out last. Yes, I agree. Um, it's very obvious there. He's got Hogan. <laughs> I don't. I mean, this match is definitely the most talked about match from the pay per view, and they even sat down and watched it for a watch along not that long ago. Um, Did they? Yeah. Now I bet you, Jarrett would say it was his best match in the WWF, and I think it's easy to see why. It had that epic, long, really good. Workers in a continental title feel to it. Yeah, I loved it. Um, and it's unbelievable because they wrestled in Memphis previously, uh, in the USWA when Michaels went down there in '93. Um, so there's definitely a respect there, I think, because there, there was no, it didn't feel like there was ego involved. Um, unlike say the Razor Shane Douglas matches, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, they definitely work together, and it just shows you. Like, and I mean, they were so- traveling together at the time as well. They were like, Jarrett and Michaels were were on canny terms. I've got to say, it does look like it was meticulously planned out. Like, you know, because everything. But I'm obviously, the like two of the greatest wrestlers and everything. You know, especially in WWF at that point. Uh, but it did look like it, the match makes so much sense, and it really takes its time as well. Like there's like mm. Jared, Jer- they slow it down in places. They really do. I mean, you know, the, and the crowd are into it all the way. I mean, now this type of stuff will get booed on if Jarrett went outside the ring for a nine count and did that about four times in a row. I, don't I was think- thinking that at the time, it's of its time. It really is, and it, it helps. I, I do think like a southern audience is more used to old school wrestling. I mean, you know, it's just they're not behind the times as such because you know that's saying that like yeah, that's know, the way it often gets portrayed. But I, I think they have a purer taste. Yeah, it's like they don't want it to be fucked up and changed. They like it done properly, is the way I say it. It's it's all just in how people position the the actual fact, isn't it? Yeah, um, and and the crowd are into this all the way through. And Vince and Lawler are on like top notch throughout this. I was going to say Sean's been to the Hulk Hogan school of being a face, though. Like he does bits where he takes a powder, as they say, to go outside and avoid getting beat up because, like, Double J does the lie on the turnbuckle pose. But I'm like, Sean, man, you're a face. And then he, like, comes straight in and he pokes Jarrett in the eye right in front of the referee. I'm like, Sean, you're a face. Stop it. He does do a bit where he's outside the ring and he actually whinges to the camera, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was like, mate, you're meant to be the good guy. 
You're just so inherently unlikable. You're like one of the greatest in the ring of all time. But my God, you're a bellend. <laughs> I would say as well that this is the last pay-per-view we've shown Uber mullet. Um, I loved his hair there. It's great. <laughs> that it's... and the hairy chest combo is a good look. <laughs> and and the beard as well. Um, he had uh, stubble for a couple of months in 95. Um, don't know what that was in aid of, but like, you know. Uh... That's the best he's, best he's looked, I thought. Not the clothes and that. The clothes were bloody awful. But <laughs> the like hair and beard and chest hair and that, I thought it was the right look. He did look great. And then the, the, the mind games of him, like using the intercontinental belt as a mirror and stuff like that is definitely the type type of thing that would piss Jarrett off. And then Jarrett, like you say, lying on the ropes, all that kind of stuff. It's theatrics mm. in the best possible way. In a Memphis-y way. Yeah. Um, and and Sean does that amazing uh, backdrop over the corner. Oh, it's terrifying, isn't it? Every oh. time he does that. Those mats are so thin on their concrete, and it's just like, whoop, over you're gone. <laughs> Um, and, and this is definitely a change of pace for Michaels in 95 because, I mean, he'd been used to wrestling Bulldog and Bundy and, uh, God, who else? Diesel. Um, and, you know, he could bring out the best in them. But this is definitely a nice change of pace. I mean, it's it probably, for me, his best pay-per-view match of 1995, and that includes the ladder match against Razor because, personally, I prefer the WrestleMania 10 one. I do as well. This, this is a tremendous match, though. And, uh, you know, and I would also say we talked about WrestleFest 95. If you can see it, watch the Shawn Michaels-Tom Pritchard match because it is one of the better TV matches I think I've ever seen. Um, Shawn is just on top form as a face. When he's got the crowd on his side, you can tell he feeds off it, and I think he does better uh, than when he's, yeah. you know, um, if it's like a smart New York crowd or something like that. He gets early when they're not. The Sid match comes to mind. Yeah, and and definitely the Vader match at uh, SummerSlam. Um, you know, he, he just comes across. I mean, he's he's not meant to actually really come across likable. He is there for the women to fawn over, and I guess for the dudes to respect his athleticism. But it's kind of hard to say what. Makes Which you him- kind of do, but it just it gets hard to cheer for him sometimes because he's just been such a wanker. <laughs> Which would be okay if he was a heel. You yeah. could kind of, I don't mean like it's okay to cheer the heels, but I mean like you're not hiding the fact that you're a dick. But then if it's like you're meant to be the baby face and you're doing baby face promos and like, oh, that's the boyhood dream type bullshit. I don't want you to be being a cunt at the same time. Cause then you're like, you're not a nice guy. You're just pretending to be nice, but you're a dick. Like, if anything, that's even more of a heel thing. Yeah. Um, I've got to say, this match has all of the southern traits. You've got the ref bump, you've got the long figure four. Heaven sells that ref bump forever. He's like walking around like he's been shot holding his kidneys and that, isn't he? <laughs> it just has all of the old school traits of a just a, a good pro wrestling match to me. And I, I do love someone nearly dying of a brain buster. That's another, <laughs> another southern thing, you know, like front suplex or Sean lands on his head. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> I do love when Vince's mic goes off and Lawler's just having the time of his life for like about a minute. And then I, <laughs> that I, is I'm, class. I'm assuming, I don't know if this was planned or not, because as soon as uh, Jared like straddles the ropes and Sean gets the advantage again, Vince's mic comes back on. So whether that was just a little planned thing or not, who knows? But Lawler is again top notch during this and he's great for sticking up. What I love is. <laughs> this comments at the start of the match he's like if someone back in my day like Shawn Michaels came into town would have run him out of town on the rail you know with that <laughs> hair <laughs> you know, he's a disgrace <laughs> he makes a class country reference when he gets the rope drop on his dick as well just right. before Vince comes back in 
because uh, he, he, you know, he, he quotes an old Statler Brothers song, that dead sang bass, Mama sang tenor, but he's like Michael sang tenor because he fell on his fucking cock on the ropes. And I just, I really loved that. I thought that Vince had blown his own mic out by not using WWE speak because one of the things that always fucks me off is when they say resiliency because I'm sure that's not a word. It should just be resilience. But Vince is like, such resilience from Shawn Michaels. And I like actually looked at the telly like, wow, you said it properly and then his mic died. I was like, oh. <laughs> So that's why flicking, you don't do it. Flicking for a thesaurus, you know. <laughs> um, I couldn't really see the shenanigans at the end. I know Rhodey's meant to have pulled a leg or something and something went wrong and then yeah. Sean super kicks double J and pins him. Didn't really get what happened. I just saw Rhodey do something and then wave at the crowd and Jarrett get kicked and pinned. Like, well, Jer- what, Jarrett what was get, that? Well, they've done this a few times before where Jarrett gives him the sign to, he, he will Irish whip. And Rhodey's meant to grab the person's leg who gets Irish whipped. Now he's so confident that, you know, it's worked times before, but this time Michaels reverses the whip and he grabs Jarrett's leg and immediately turns right. to the audience going, yeah. And the, the I've, it is a bit of a confusing thing, except if you're in the front row. Um, it's the angle of the camera, isn't it? Doing yeah. that from the hard camera. I was just like, what the fuck just happened there? Well, I was like, front... why is he celebrating when he gets kicked in the face? <laughs> well, the front row tell them to turn around and everything, and then Michael's... Yeah, I, I like it as a finisher, but I think it was very subtly done. Uh, but again, it's one of those things that it's it is, it's meant to come across like a mistake, and I actually think they do a good job of that, but the camera angles could have been better. But it yeah. also could be... I don't said... have a problem with the finish itself, mind. Just to be clear, I wasn't complaining about the finish. I just couldn't see what was going on. Well, that's the other thing is because they show the replay of it because they, they both say, what, what happened? You know, um, the fact that the camera maybe wasn't in place adds to that, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Sort of um, spontaneity, spontaneity. that's gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, because we know, well, Jer- Sean wins and, he, you know, the pyro goes off and Jarrett and Rhodey are straight out of the building and out of the company. Um <laughs> But uh, Sean, I mean, there's always that blonde wife in the audience that he kisses. So that must have been his last at the time. Um, I noticed her. She's been there a few times with what I'm assuming is her friend or mam or something, because there's this little wife with curly dark hair who's always next to her. Um, you know. And then she's got like that massive like Barbara Mandrell blonde hair. Yeah. I mean, she looked good as well. Like you can see. Oh, why she did. You know. Um, Funnily enough, I think it was around this time. There's a story that came out of uh, some fan who was, he was in love with Shawn Michaels so much that he left him a million dollars. Bloody hell. Yeah. And that, that is like one of those rumors that like, again, apparently it's true, but it depends who you believe. Shawn's never, neither confirmed or denied it, but apparently it was talked about a lot uh, back in the day. Um, right. I don't think I love anyone enough to leave them a million dollars. Like, oh, I was going to say he was like he was my favorite WWE guy when I was a kid, but I wouldn't be leaving him a million dollars. Like fucking hell, <laughs> the coke that he would would have you know bought from that million dollars. <laughs> let, let's face it. Um, I think it can't be true. Otherwise, why would there be that little fella shilling those horrendous Shawn Michaels <laughs> shirts and heart sunglasses immediately after? I swear you own a pair of those sunglasses that are hearts. I do, I do. Yeah, they went went full on in 95 with the Sean face gear. And the thing is, it was kind of stuff you could wear. So there was earrings, uh, there was the wrist tape, there was like sort of arm socks sort of thing, like Jeff Jeff Hardy wears. Arm socks? (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) I will forever think of them as them now. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm not down with the kids. I don't know the terms. Uh, so sunglasses, earrings, uh, gloves. Uh, arm socks. <laughs> arm socks. <laughs> <laughs> and pendants and all sorts of shite. They, they like really pushed the Shawn Michaels stuff uh, to the moon in 95. Now, I haven't heard all of the In Your House 2 Jarrett show. So I know that they left the building immediately. Um, Jarrett and Rody. So Doc Hendricks had to do this thing where he stood in front of the door going, Absolutely. Is that why he does that terrible segment? Yeah. Uh, but whatever was meant to be done was meant to be done on camera. Uh, whether it was meant right. to be in the ring, it, it, whether it was meant to be in the ring or backstage, none of it happened. So, I mean, the next night on Raw, I think they acknowledged they've gone from WWF, but they'd already started advertising the Jarrett Rody match in the magazine by this point because the, the magazines were right. always two months behind. Um, so that's why Doc Hendricks does that thing where it's it's over the top. I mean, if you if you, you know, I would recommend it's terrible to be honest. It's fucking awful. Like when he's pretending like he's got a phone to his head or something, he's like holding his hand up. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's just like rabbiting hysterically. He's like, he keeps talking about being locked up. Punched Rudy, and I can't believe what happened. It's just like it's. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I was like, you're right. I don't believe it. It's like a child making something up, isn't it? It is so shit. Like, I kept thinking if Mason tried to talk to me like that, he'd be in deep shit because I know that he's <laughs> lying to cover something up, which makes sense now that I know that's what he's covering up. And but it's just you... like a kitchen door or something with like a big push, hand, push handle on the front. And he's like, yeah. they've, they've blocked us out. Like, they haven't. There's a window on the door. Sure, oh. Michael. I mean, you, my... even your name's in lie. You're not Doc Hendricks. You're Michael Hayes. What is all of this? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, God, I guess he had to really make something up on the spot, and he did. <laughs> so badly. Yeah. If I talk fast, no one will know what I'm saying. I, and the thing is, if it was Todd doing that, he would have been more, it, it would have been intense, and he would have been like, you can't believe what just happened. Like, you know, but like, it would have been very radio presenter, I guess. Um, but yeah, it not been... like a horse auction. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember watching that with my parents back in the day, and I was embarrassed watching that bit. Um, I can see why. Doc is, but I mean, now we've got context now, and we know why. Then, but that's fucking so cringe. That. <laughs> um. So from that on the Coliseum, well, yeah, on the Coliseum video on the Tag Classics, we go straight to the Tag Title Match. Now, is there anything before that? <laughs> no, but I can't believe I'm going to bring them up a second time today. These must be my equivalent of you with Duke the Dumpster Trozzi. Yeah. <laughs> when the first chord played for the Allied Powers coming out, that I forgot what their music was, and I was like, why are the American males coming out? <laughs> it sounded like that same bit, and I was just waiting for American males to start, and I was like, oh shit, yeah, it's that really weird version of Rule Britannia, where it's like sounds like it's on Gladiators. Oh yeah, the mix Luger and Davies music together and it was it was never my favorite thing oh shit that theme it's so shit that i like it i think it's just <laughs> that bad you know, it goes dun, 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 dun. it's so cheesy and uncool that it kind of like it, it's it, it warms your heart how bad it is <laughs> i mean god the bulldog luger team i mean luger speaks of it fondly now but it just seemed the epitome of you know, if There's even no if, day with these two guys, pretty much. And I mean, if even if this was kayfabe, I think they would say it was a business decision why they teamed up. It was never really a friendship there. Mm-hmm. Um, because it would have been interesting to see if at least Bulldog and Luger were going to have a match or not because they didn't at SummerSlam the following month because Bulldog turns heel within a month at this point. 
Um, a, a much needed heel turn, I've got to say, and a very unexpected heel turn because you just don't expect someone like the Bulldog to turn heel. Um, but obviously, Luger shows up at SummerSlam where people think he's going to turn heel, he doesn't, and then that's he used to the- all the time. He used to change, <laughs> change orientation so much. <laughs> well, that was the last time you saw him, and he was meant to be interviewed uh, two weeks later on Superstars, and he's gone by that point because they even advertise it. Um, and like I say, it never never comes to pass. Uh, so yeah, this is probably the most, except for Sean and Diesel against Owen and uh, Yoko or Bulldog and Yoko, because Owen wasn't there during the match. I mean, we'll get into that another time. But uh, this is probably the, the most star-studded tag match that you could have for the tag titles, where you really that don't know. Who, yeah, you really don't know who's going to win. I don't think people expected the Smoking Guns to win it in your house one. They didn't defend the titles at SummerSlam, which I found insane. But We've I, talked but, often about how much they don't really value tag wrestling the way I do, though. That's true. And the thing is, though, there were no teams for them to face. So I guess it makes sense to just leave them off instead of having just a, a meaningless match against someone who no one is really clearly going to get beat. Yeah. It's a perennial issue they have, though. It's the same that they have with the women sometimes. Mm. Then they get some at the belt there, and it's like, oh, we've got fuck all people for you to face, really, haven't we? Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, the, the Luger Bulldog team, I would imagine most people would have thought that they would have won this because they were on the uphill trajectory. And they're probably, I mean, the still... tremendous pyro as well. They had winners pyro. It's like firing <laughs> rockets into the sky in that diagonally. I was like, yes, you should come out and win now. But Luger's like, no, no, you should see how much confetti I get when I don't win. <laughs> <laughs> they should have done that after every match he lost. A <laughs> <laughs> ticket tape parade and that. Well done for your draw, <laughs> your decision win with no belt. Oh, yay. <laughs> well, speaking of Luger and Yoko, this match does have Luger and Yoko, and Vince does mention their previous feud on the USS Intrepid and stuff like that. And um, th- this feels, because there's a lot of spots, I mean, it, it works in front of the Tennessee audience as well, like you say, more of a pure audience that like faces and heels in the more uh, traditional sense. So there's lots of like house show tomfoolery going on, like Yoko sitting on Owen's foot and stuff like that, because you saw it on the mm-hmm. WrestleFest house show tape as well, basically. Um, so they did that a lot. It's one of those things that, again, apart from the big spots, I don't remember too much from this. Like, what did you get from watching it tonight? It's decent, but it doesn't... It's... I don't know. It just doesn't really stick with you. Like, you've you've just put it rightly. I mean, there's a, there's bits that stood out where there were some fun spots, like where you mentioned the, the tomfoolery, you know, like he gets... Irish whipped and Yoko's on the outside and Yoko punches Bulldog as he's running the whip. Yeah. Like there's little bits like that are quite fun. There's a backdrop where Owen lands really painfully looking on his shoulder. He like goes up and instead of going over, he just like goes up vertically and drops down his shoulder and that looked nasty. Round about then I noticed Bulldog looked fucked. Like early <laughs> on. He is so knackered. I think that's why Yoko comes in and puts him in what's probably meant to be a nerve hold, but Davey just seems grateful for because he just like lies down while Yoko's patting his shoulder. Like he's just put him in a cot and he's like, shh, shh, 
<laughs> he's just got his hand on him for fucking ages when he gets his breath back and that before he gets back up. Well, I mean, those nerve holds were really meant to give Yoko rest, not Bulldog. It looked like Bulldog was the one resting here. He's come in just like, yeah, wait, I know what to do here. Let's rest together. Well... <laughs> <laughs> well, something that can be said as well. I mean, Stan Lane brings this up on one of the dark matches on the tape that it was an incredibly bright, like brightly lit arena, and those lights would probably have, especially in July, the aircon isn't on. I mean, it looks like a July hot, in Tennessee. It looks like a hot crowd, and not in the sense that they were into it, more in the sense the steam just... coming off them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the thing that I specifically remember is uh, the double back suplex on Yoko and the crowd will really get up for that um, it is impressive I've got to say as a as a climax to the match they do a really good job and it's really back and forth and you don't know who's going to win and it's Owen uh, behind the referee's back uh, who does the double axe handle on uh, Luca actually and then Yoko gets the pin he Which like drops think... him and then pins him, doesn't he? He does. Yoko does that monster leg drop. I quite like that. Like I was thought when it's someone like Hogan, I thought well, that leg drop might not necessarily stop you, but like a leg drop from Yokozuna will kill you. Mm. And I guess this is the. I mean, Owen Hart and Yoko main event the next in your house. So I guess it... obviously they're going to keep belts on them, but you can tell looking back on it now, this is obviously the end for the Allied Powers because once you lose your biggest match, where do you go? Um, but again, yeah. I, I really don't think people would have predicted Bulldog turning heel. Um, I think that was a big shock. And I, I even remember it back then and the fact that he changed his look and everything. I mean, there were desperate need for heels, uh, credible heels to face Diesel at this point because he was running through everyone. And the lower card heels he would face on TV, like Henry Godwin and Waylon Mercy and people like that. But they were never going to... pierced, weren't they? Yeah. And I mean, fuck me, look at SummerSlam. Uh, against Mabel, they were in desperate need of heels. Um, yeah. You know, so, but the. Yeah, I thought as well as that, you know, it just makes sense to have Yoko win. Like, Yoko is an absolute mammoth. Mm. So it, it's not really very realistic unless you are also a mammoth that you're going to be able to pin him. Like, you just have to wait for Yoko to have an insulin crash and then, like, <laughs> pin him or something. There's no way you were going to be beating him otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you have any more notes on this? Because, again, it's one of those... <laughs> no, no, not really. There's not a lot to talk about, is there? <laughs> well, again, it's in-your-house matches, in-your-house undercards. That There's always one really classic match that stands the test of time. And then the rest of it, it's it's an enjoy... It is a very enjoyable show, I thought. But it kind it's of... It's a leaves... decent evening. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. It's, it's called In Your House, like the big matches that in your and then all the rest of them are house show matches. <laughs> well, it leaves no aftertaste. Like, you know, they're very forgettable. And I, I guess for 1495, you get what you pay for. Um I didn't feel shortchanged, not that I paid for it. Like, but you know what I mean? Like, I thought you got your money's worth out of the show. Oh, yeah, I think overall, because the, the, the feuds also had more of a chance to develop as well, that this, you know, is a, certainly a more solid card than, like, from top to bottom. And also you've got the Diesel Sid blow-off match instead of the DQ at uh, In Your House 1. Um, yeah. and, and a good gimmick match as well is always a good thing. I mean, this is the first time a Lumberjack match in WWF was ever done on pay-per-view. Um, I either it, mentioned that on it, and I just can't believe Vince didn't dress them all up as lumberjacks. <laughs> well, the- I wanted them full on, like coming out, he's a lumberjack and he's okay, <laughs> <laughs> like singing the Monty Python thing and that. But now, nah, missed opportunity. Everyone's in weird mishmash of clothes. 
And and look at those faces as well. I mean, the Man Mountain Rock. I mean, it couldn't be more 1995. Duke the Dumpster Drossy, Techno Team 2000, Bam Bam, Sean, uh, Savio Vega. I, I don't think Razor's there, funnily enough. He is. Oh, no, he is. Of course he is. He's not, he's not got much on in the way of, like, fancy gear and that. He's just, like, in a polo shirt or something like that. <laughs> what, what the hell's going on with Rikishi? What's his gimmick there? Because he's got, like, Joseph's Technicolor shell suit and a beanie hat on. <laughs> You don't remember this era of uh, Rikishi? I uh, do not. Um, I, I just remember like Samoan SWAT team, and then like he's Crazy Island Man, and then he's Rikishi Fatu. Oh well, let me let me fill you in, young sir, on uh, make <laughs> make a difference, Fatu. Um, he kind of it was he just wasn't a, called that. Tell me that wasn't his name. He wasn't called that, but that was what was on his jacket, and that was his theme music and everything. Um, and he was oh, there, no. and he was there to make a difference. Well. All of a sudden, he could speak English. And uh, he was, was his like, head still invincible? <laughs> or did putting the beanie hat on stop him having an invincible heat? No, he was. Well, the thing is, Fatu in the head shrinkers was already doing the whole the dancing bit. Well, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, for no reason. I think they gave up on the fact that there were savages at this point and they just started dancing. <laughs> Why be savage when you could be step up? <laughs> um, and this is when Captain Lee tries to civilize the head shrinkers by getting them to wear boots and Fatu can't get climb on the top rope and shit like that. It was good, it fucking entertaining telly. Um, <laughs> so by 95, Sioni's gone, Sioni was the barbarian. Um, and I, I guess he went straight to WCW at that point. He did and became the barbarian again. Yeah. Uh, Sioni, I mean, he replaced Samu because Samu was gone, I think, because of a drugs issue. And uh, they didn't want to just scrap the head shrinkers idea at that point. Um, and they'd just come off a tag title reign and all that kind of stuff. And um, Fatu, all of a sudden, once Sioni's gone, he starts doing because uh, you find out that he lives in like California, like in the mean streets of California, like. Fucking Compton, basically. And he's like living in South Central. Yeah. And and he's just like, this is where I grew up. And because uh, he legit took a gunshot to the chest and he talks about it. He talks about the scar <laughs> on his chest and stuff like that, which is very un 1995. They could have done this a bit more. I mean, to be fair, it was done. Re- it wasn't done that cartoony, but it was just once the vignette. The gear happened, was, though. The, the gear was very. I, what was it in reference to? Is it meant to be gangster, but like really shitly done? Or is it. Ah, uh, maybe, but he didn't look like any fucking gangster I ever saw. <laughs> just had this ridiculous, brightly coloured shell suit on with a fucking beanie hat and this ridiculous heat indoors. Was, uh, he just looked, looked like a bell and like I felt sorry for him. You need to hear the music as well. It's just it's just rapping, but it's more shouting into the microphone. Um, oh man, it's um. So yeah, he was just like I'm here to make a difference and to stop the kids taking drugs and all that kind. Of. So he's basically an anti-drugs character, which is why I mean later on you won't remember this near the end of that gimmick. You had the Samoan Gangster Party show up on WWE TV, WWF television. So it was Samu and uh, oh God Rosie, one of Freeman at Warning. And they would come out dressed as gangsters, as they did in ECW, and mm-hmm. would try and lure Fatou, Fatou back to the dark side of taking drugs. I mean, it was very understated, but uh, that didn't go on long enough for it to go anywhere. And I remember watching that as a kid and tried to explain it to people that this happened, but because it wasn't on pay-per-view or anything, and it wasn't even on Raw, I don't think, the... Um, or certainly none that I saw at the time. No one believed me that this happened, but it was a thing. And uh, <laughs> that's the story of your childhood with WWF. <laughs> 
and they were gone very quickly uh, for whatever reason. And then Fatu was off TV for a bit and then came back as the Sultan. So he was the man. Of oh, I forgot he had another fucking terrible gimmick <laughs> after that. Um, so yeah, that that was Fatu in a nutshell. Like he was, he was just dancing Fatu and um, had no feuds and wore, you know, yellow and blue jackets like. MC Hammer Fatu, basically. <laughs> yes, MC Hammer Fatu. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this was probably the end of Man Mountain Rock. He wasn't around much longer after that. Um, is that Max Payne? That is Max Payne. Um, I thought it was. I was just like, why is Max Payne dressed like he's nice? <laughs> well, do you know about the uh, the video that Max Payne made while in WWF? I heard that he'd done like a didn't he video people backstage like doing coke and doing steroids and that and then people were like no don't they, expose the business like that the, the fucking kibosh was very much put on that there is a trailer i kind of get why i'd love to see it but i get why there's a trailer on youtube and i've asked a couple of people and they were very sketchy about even talking about it so I know, bet. um i would love to know apparently depending on the rumors like you see Owen Hart taking drugs and you know um, it was just a fucking party uh, or just people trying to just get through the fucking day because the tour and schedule in 95 was just brutal. I was going to say, to be honest, I can't imagine if you're getting three hours of sleep in that, just a little bit of beak in the morning or something. <laughs> just otherwise, there's no way you're going and doing all these bloody public appearances and that, is oh, there? Especially if you're Nash, who's like a naturally miserable person or at least with a dry sense of humour, but he's having to be like proper shiny teeth smile. I would and... struggle with that, you know, being the shiny teeth, nice baby face guy and that. But I'll be a heels and I'll be a dick and not sign your autograph and just stop by. And you can do that back then. Paul Bearer always said he loved being a heel because you could just tell the fans to fuck off. Bobby Heenan would, like, if someone asked for an autograph, he would sign it and then take the pen and walk off and not even give them the thing. He'd just rip it up. <laughs> but that would, that would be, like, an honour for Bobby Heenan to do that to you, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, that'd be class. It's like, <laughs> my mate once met The Rock and he, The Rock was, like, being dead nice to him and he's like, oh, what's your name, son? He was like, it's Ada. It doesn't matter what your name is. And then it's, like, the greatest moment moment of his fucking childhood you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> oh amazing um so yeah th- those were in a, a very long roundabout way those were the face lumberjacks and then the heel lum- sorry oh the, what? no i was just gonna say sorry yeah get to the heels there is more shit about these lumberjacks that we can talk about <laughs> well it's before one... we get to that sorry yeah weird costumey stuff that aside we've mm-hmm. just talked about the face lumberjacks and i hadn't realized until we started watching this that there were two fucking teams of lumberjacks which was strange but yeah. randomly like just before the lumberjacks come out there's two edwardian ghosts in the front row Right. Um, what the fuck was that all about? And like, I didn't even know if I just imagined that. There's just like two ghosts, and like, some Vince was like, "It's the creatures of the night," and then it just fucking moved on, and they were never brought up again. I never saw them again. I was like, "Did that happen?" Okay, context time. Um, when <laughs> Undertaker got his own stolen, he, you know, the creatures of the night started showing. One of them was played by Shane McMahon, and uh, not on this event. But Shane did play the, one of the male creatures. He is of the spawn night. of darkness, so I guess it makes sense. <laughs> so the, they would come out and put uh, as as people did for Mister Hughes when they nicked the urn. It was kind of like a calling card. They would put a wreath at ringside for Kama, um, just to say Undertaker's going to fucking come and get you, basically. And right. um, the one time Kama did pull the dude out of the audience and fucking give him a power bomb or something, and you see the the woman creature of the night showing her only emotion, like reaching out, going no, 
Um, but you, there were a couple of pay-per-views, and like I say, one of them at one point was Shane McMahon. And so that is the context of them. I c- forgot that they showed them during this because I don't think they showed them during the Undertaker match, which is fucking counterproductive, but there we are. Um, <laughs> Bizarre. You think they wouldn't uh, like you know want to give away fucking two seats in nineteen ninety five when they weren't exactly you know <laughs> maybe they were giving away enough already that that uh, it's all right just give them to these ghosts man it'll fill a speed sit at the front. Gotta say as well, I think this event did something like three hundred thousand less buys because they weren't giving away a house on this one. <laughs> 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 if they give away a house on every single event, then they might have done a bit better with this event. I usually but... people listening to that will think giving away a house. You mean like papering it and giving free tickets but like no you really mean they gave away a fucking house oh. <laughs> the damnedest thing that I've watched that it's bizarre and feel free to find the Todd Pettingill first interview I did and the Tom Buchanan interview for tons of stories about how that just was a messy situation um, oh I'll have to watch the Buchanan, listen to Buchanan one sorry I haven't heard that one so that'll be some interesting extra stuff yeah he was partly in charge of the marketing of the event as well and there the are things that go wrong with that so which is quite funny um, so yeah the heel uh, lumberjacks now top of my head you've got the million Volkov's gone by this point he's been seen so little of that he's not even the lumberjack for this event yeah um, he's not there Bundy, this was one of his last appearances. This is one of IRS's last appearances. Um, IRS is dressed weird as fuck in this as well. Is he? Unless he, unless I just, it's it's difficult to know what's going on because there's so many people bunched together outside. I might have been seeing his eating someone else's body. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at one point thinking, why is IRS dressed all in fucking red? No, that wouldn't have been. <laughs> It's probably just someone shorter or something. I'm seeing IRS's heed over them. <laughs> well, um, I think the heavenly bodies were there. Uh, you've, they got were the, high. you've got the corporation. You've got uh, God. You've got Mabel. Obviously, you've got Mo. Um, you had Mantor. Oh, you had for Ma- some reason. He fucking moves all the way through the match. <laughs> He's outside and he just randomly goes moo like four or five times. Like just. Come on, mate. You're in Nashville anyway. Someone's going to brand you or jump on for a qualified ride or something in a minute. Like, stop drawing attention to yourself. Well, you've got Manto. You've got a, a freshly, you know, debuted Hunter Hearst Hemsley. You've got Skip. Oh, yeah. Was he course, there? I didn't even notice him. Yeah. You've got Aldo Montoya on the other side as well, which makes sense because um, he was on the dark match. Um, he added the Harris him. twins were there with the <laughs> fucking ridiculous long curly perms. It's bizarre seeing them not bald. <laughs> um, yes, I think I think that is just about all of them, um, and they couldn't have been. The the, the problem is when because Diesel could pif, pick fifteen, um, and for some reason didn't pick the Undertaker and Bret Hart. <laughs> You know, but like, you know, mental. Got to pick Aldo Montoya. Um, and DiBiase could pick 15. And now, because of this, now you've got heels and faces. Obviously, they have to push the people in the ring. And obviously, the heels will attack the face instead of just pushing about the ring. Doing outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because they were there supporting the person that picked them, you've got 15 people all at the same time on the apron. And it's really fucking distracting from the match for me. It's, it- this match is almost unwatchable, I thought, and it's because of the Lumberjacks themselves. Yeah. It, it's not a problem with what Sid and Diesel do, because I could hardly even fucking tell you what they did, because there's so much shit going on outside, and people are getting pulled out and beat up. At one point near the end, one of the Lumberjacks gets in the ring and doesn't get disqualified, and it all just starts breaking down pretty quickly in this. 
It's one of the better um, mass huddle fight and then someone jump off the top rope spots that I think I've ever That's seen. That's fucking class, that. Yeah. When Diesel planches. No, no, I mean when Sean comes off the ropes. Oh, the deep... There's a great bunch spot as well. Where I always hate bunch spots because there's usually no reason for people to be doing them. Yeah. Like, there's a there's a great one that I, I can't wait to talk to you about on that sold out when we do that later in the week. Mm-hmm. But um, like this one here, when Diesel runs, because firstly, you don't expect that big cunt to go flying over the top <laughs> anyway. But when he just runs and he just leaps over the top rope into that crowd outside, they're as surprised as we are, and it just looked fantastic. It, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because like how... I don't think I've seen him do it before, but he also does it the next month against Mabel, and I think that match needs all the fucking help it could get. But um, how do you figure out you can do that? I mean, it just, it, you know, always, like, shocks me. Is, uh, if Nash was like... Yeah, well, how does a big fucker think, I, you know what I want to do? <laughs> <laughs> and who who's like, you know, you, you're his opponent, and uh, you're like, right, I've got an idea. Sid must have looked at that and gone, I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> I mean, look what's happened to Sid when he came off the top just to do a big boot. <laughs> well, this is kind of because um, Sid was going to face Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam for the Intercontinental Belt. Now, because I genuinely think they realized how shit King of the Ring was, they knew they had to do something better. And this is why they ended up making the ladder match between Shawn and Razor, which, I mean, SummerSlam 95 is a great show from top to bottom. Um, well, not, oh, but, very okay. <laughs> Not very tough. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, From bottom to most. <laughs> it's that thing, though, isn't it? We talked about this before. You can watch a fucking fantastic event, but if the main event is a massive steaming, wormy dog shit, then you do, You think that you've watched a shit pay-per-view, even if you've watched two and a half hours of greatness, and then you've watched Kevin Nash and Mabel. <laughs> well, the best thing you can say about it is it's six minutes long, I think so. It's still six minutes of your life. You'll never get back. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this match, again, it's kind of one of those weird things. The, the, apart from the big spots, I mean, there's rest holds galore, which, I mean, I guess you expect. Were there? Um, I couldn't even fucking tell. There's so many people everywhere. I think Sid does go for the powerbomb and probably gets it as well, but I think uh, Diesel does kick out. Diesel had just come off a, a dislocated... Um, he either dislocated his shoulder or he tore the tendon in his arm like his tricep where i think he did that because i don't know if it was from a sid powerbomb that but they based the angle off that that sid hits the powerbomb and his elbow hits first on the floor and you see it and they pause it and everything and diesel legitimately woke up the next day and his arm was black from shoulder all the way down and he he had torn something which i mean could be said why king the ring had to be a tag match and why it was shite um, because Diesel was, you know, he probably wasn't Just in the best. Fucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, it, again, don't remember much from this match, but it's it's just loud and full of colourful wrestlers. <laughs> I sound like Mason, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, one thing about the end of the match that Duke the Dumpster Draws he told us that he always knew that you had to stand next to the biggest star if there was a load of them in the ring, because he knew the camera would be on him. So if you watch any of those... Nash. Oh, yeah. Well, they're all doing the click sign, which is the first time I think this has been really openly acknowledged on TV. Uh, not that they referenced what it was, but you've got Hall, Nash, Shawn Michaels, one T Free Kid, and then in the middle, you've got Duke the Dumpster Drossy just mugging to the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he ended up on a magazine cover because of that, because he stood... What around. a lad. <laughs> 
can I just say he had a tremendous snapback? That one with Duke on it. Absolutely, <laughs> it's so ahead of its time, that snapback with the flat brim and all that. It's yeah. class. <laughs> um, and a Techno Team 2000 making their one and only... Uh... I thought i seen Eric Watts. <laughs> but that was... I, I, I thought, if all right, you might have seen the ghosts. That might have been real, but you can't have just seen Eric Watts. There's no way that's real. <laughs> <laughs> Again, like smoking. Oh no, smoking guns were there. I do apologize. The guns but, were there, yeah. But they didn't bring out Luger and Bull. I mean, they had just lost. But I don't know what Diesel was thinking of. You know, if it was real, let's bring out Eric Watts and his partner, uh, Chad Fortune, instead of like you know two of the hardest <laughs> lads on the roster. If it was, real. if it was, <laughs> if real. It was real, if it was Aye. real. Um, but yeah, no techno team two thousand getting in there bit of camera time. I think this is when Bill Watts was working there. I mean, it would make perfect sense, but uh, except a couple of matches on Raw, I'm desperate to see more episodes of Superstars from 95 because that's when you get your B squad of 1995. That's when you get your fucking shit in the best possible <laughs> given, given that nearly nobody wants to see the A squad of 1995, <laughs> you may be waiting for a while. <laughs> well, I mean, there's only one Techno Team 2000 match on the network, and I think that's a crime quite frankly. Um, well, there should be none. <laughs> <laughs> Swing and a hit. <laughs> Unlike um, the finish to this match, of all that and all this chaos and bullshit, like Nash just big boots him very softly and pins him. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. That was rubbish, that. <laughs> was never wanted a big monstrous finish. Like, I've seen all this big hullabaloo going on all the time. I wanted some big decisive finish, but he just said, Barely brushes him with a big boot well, and then cons- pins him for a quick pinfall. I was like, oh, the Sid looks weak as shit then. Well, um, I, un- I do understand that, but I guess as well that they didn't want it to be decisive so that Sid maybe's lost by a fluke. Maybe. I, I bet but it wasn't a fluke. He just got kicked in the head and pinned, and that was it. <laughs> well, okay, but not beaten by the finisher, though. So I don't Even know. worse, he got right, beaten yeah. by a just rudimentary move and then pinned <laughs> cleanly. I, I would be devastated if I was said after that. Like, I never thought for being one to be bothered about losing, but if you lose so easily, it would be like, and Diesel hits him with the chop. One, two, three, finished. Oh. <laughs> it, makes you, it makes you wonder, though, if Sid ever... Did he ever take the powerbomb? I wondered that. I've, I've seen him powerbomb millions of people for that. Yeah. seeing Sid get powerbombed. And Nash's again, would you trust Nash to powerbomb you? Well, that's the thing I was going to say. The only person's powerbomb that's more reckless than Sid's is Nash's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sure clip on one of the video packages of him powerbombing Sean for how Diesel got involved oh, in this. Oh, that first, the first, the first powerbomb. Fucking hell. Yeah. Aye, that's terrifying looking, that. Where he, like, nearly over-rotates and Sid just fucking... Drops them like yeah, that Aye, was bad. they were all drops, but that first one in particular was that was quite bad. On YouTube, there's a, um because Vince's commentary. I think that for, when he does the power bombs, it's through the break. The first the clothesline happens, and then maybe the first power bomb, and then they cut to the break, and then there's four more during the break. But somehow on YouTube, you get Vince on commentary just talking to the director backstage while Sid's just brain Michaels in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like right, uh, counting down five, four, three, two. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I need to say that. So something notable about the, I mean, uh, notable depending on your point of view, is that Mabel makes a big mark on. I mean, you could say a big skid mark on this match um, by <laughs> picking up uh, Diesel, ramming him into the bottle and into the post, sorry, and then spl- leg dropping him outside the ring. So yeah, that was, I guess, their way. Of you know, of 
I guess, pushing Mabel, you know, and uh, having them interact with Diesel. And I, I thought was... he was just getting revenge for Moby and murdered with the ring post just a second before <laughs> that. Because, like, you, did you say this is Moe's last pay-per-view match? It might be because he died when he got whipped <laughs> into that post by Diesel. If you hadn't interviewed him, I would have assumed he'd never been seen again after he got whipped into that post. It's horrifying. I didn't even interview him. I interviewed Oscar. Oh, shit. Well, maybe he is dead. Then God rest his soul. <laughs> Moe's not dead. Moe's still... still there lying under the apron because they obviously just leave the rings after they go. <laughs> Municipal Auditorium seems like one of those arenas that's definitely been knocked down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just those old-style arenas. Is it like... old? Did you like it? It's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Let's do some live. Uh, the Nashville Municipal Auditorium is an indoor sports and concert venue in Nashville. And some shirts are going. Don't the Predators play there? It looks pretty from the outside. Um, made in 1962. Um, it was the first public assembly facility in the Mid-South with air conditioning. So I, I tell a lie. There's no excuse for them being so fucking sweaty then. <laughs> a capacity 9,700 in the round, 8,000 for basketball, 9,432 reserved in the round. I don't know what any of that fucking means. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, professional wrestling events. Uh, they did NWA's Wrestle War 89 was held there. There you go. With Flair against Steve. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> um, it was also. The home for WWF's uh, No Holds Barred match with um, with uh, the Hogan and uh, Hogan and Beefcake against Savage and Zeus in the cage uh, from oh, the match right. movie. There you go. And then your house two ninety five favorite venue for WCW hosted stock in 94, 95, and ninety six, and its final clash of the champions in ninety seven, as well as its penultimate pay per view event, Super Brawl Revenge in two thousand and one. There you go. I didn't know Super Bowl Revenge was there. Also, I'm wrong about the Predators, by the way. The Predators play at Bridgeton. No, I was just totally wrong there. You fool. I mean, I did, look, I get things The basketball there. team that plays at the <laughs> Municipal Auditorium. But I know, as, as, my, uh, as my, my mother's husband will often point out, I know fuck all about basketball. Because he's like a pure NBA expert. <laughs> um, interestingly, Masato Tanaka won his only ECW title by defeating Mike Orson at that event. Uh, oh, sorry, on T, uh, TNN. Uh, TNA held their first events there in June or two before moving to Tennessee. Um, the wait, arena... no, wait, no, this can't be right. The first Tennessee, the first TNA ones are in Alabama. Uh, interesting. Okay, June or two before go to moving the fairground. to. Oh, okay, right. Well, that's yeah, that's right. A letter I go to the, the Nashville fairground. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm, I mean, you know, I usually get shit wrong, but I'm almost certain. No, you those know your first early TNA pay per views. I was going to say I'm almost certain those are in Alabama. And um, they shift to the fairground for ages. <laughs> the arena also hosted uh, Slammiversary 07 and Lockdown 2012. And the arena also hosted Ring of Honor event, Honor for All. There you go. All right. Um, it's funny, you know, I, I, I don't pay as much attention to buildings as you do because I've seen most of these things that you're listing off. <laughs> well, I mean, some, some arenas are definitely noticeable. And, you know, um, if you'd asked me before us doing the show, where was it held? I would have known Nashville. I wouldn't have remembered Municipal Auditorium because I don't think they even mention it on screen. I could be wrong. They might have. But I think they're doing near the start when King's right. talking about it because, you know, like King keeps bringing up the Opry being at the Ryman and, uh, excuse me, stuff like that. So I, I think King does at the beginning, but, you know, King will want to get everything Tennessee correct. 
Well, um, like I say, they did a 0.7 buy rate, uh, equivalent to approximately 280,000 buys, but that is down from the first in your house. Again, they're not giving away a fucking house. Um, even though, <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, if you've got a taste of your first in your house for 1495 and sort of fuck all happen, um, <laughs> it might not be as, <laughs> it might be as not as, uh, you know, uh, much, uh, incentive especially when wcw are still doing free clashes and they've got SummerSlam coming up and that is the crack as well maybe people would just like nah i'll just buy SummerSlam instead and argue you know it will be better because it's more expensive and it'll you know give you more bang for your buck i guess i've, I've, I've got the answer to your tna question before oh gonna the first three are in the Von Braun in Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before they go to what they rechristen as the Asylum, which is the fairground, there is a taping of two episodes at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. Well, there you go. So, yeah, it's, uh, the fourth and fifth shows are both there before then it's fairground mania for <laughs> ages and ages. <laughs> We'd like to see those shows. I think I bet the crowd were probably into it, and I bet they knew how to play to the crowd by bringing out probably legends because that was like the first episode, wasn't it? They just brought out all the. Uh, I would East love Tennessee to cover some of those only early ones with you because the a lot, a lot of it's bad, a lot of it's wonderful, and it's just so <laughs> it's such a mixed bag of just southern lunacy. I, I would love to cover some of those with you. It's a mixed bag of southern lunacy. <laughs> You can tell you're a lyricist. That's that's wonderful. Um, <laughs> Mason loves that shit. It's like the perfect <laughs> mixture of he's like grumpy old southern stuff with just mental cartoony bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so w- at the end of this, I mean, have you got any more comments on the match? Or because we've talked about the arena now, so I think we're over the match. <laughs> I was over the match before it started, to be honest. Like, <laughs> um, so, we're, I mean, they ended brilliantly because the music's still going. You end it as you should end it. Like, you know, leave them wanting more before it all dies. Leave the stage before the crowd stops clapping and all that kind of stuff. I leave it up. Don't, don't do what they did at Clash of the Champions. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Great American Bash 92. I see every cunt fucking heading for the hills in the background. <laughs> well, it also helps that there were two matches after this, so the crowd aren't leaving, which is very smart. Um, so that the, is that is actually that is really clever. That actually, I never thought of that. I was just thinking like that lumberjack match is a bit of a lumberjack off. So like <laughs> you have something that sends the crowd home happy at the end. But no, you're right. Actually, yeah, make the fuckers stay in the seat while you film the finish. <laughs> so the, the cut back to the the that classic uh, in your house, which is available on iTunes under one of those uncaged albums, and it's so good. The guitar on it is great. Uh, and so is the voice as well, because it, it's you would think it's Doc Hendricks singing it, but it isn't. Um, although it definitely sounds like him. Do you know um, what I thought it was at first as well? Is it mm-hmm. not him who plays the guitar in the uh, in the band? That's what I'm thinking because it's this. It sounds like the same voice that does the Superstars "Are You Ready" theme, and he does at least. I thought that one. was Michael Hayes. Was that him? Then that might be <laughs> Michael Hayes. But the thing is, on the... Which, whichever one is a ripoff of um, the Monday Night Football song by Hank Williams Jr. I'm also, certain that was Michael Hayes. Well, I mean, whenever also, I'm certain, I'm wrong as well. Anyways, <laughs> well, it sounded also like the uh, "I Didn't Start the Fire," where it's just list reaming off a list of names uh, on the. I love that it's "I Didn't Start the Fire." <laughs> Changed it to Partridge. "I Didn't Start the Fire." <laughs> it's definitely we. <laughs> no, it was signed by Bam, Bam Bigelow. Like. Um... <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, what did Bam Bam sing apart from Bam? Bam! Or well, showing that he's a grown-up Flintstone baby. Well, he didn't start the fire, did he? Like... What? 
Well, he's made a fire. Oh, it didn't matter. Whatever. I'm trying to be funny. Oh, shit. And I was trying to say, it was this like Cain burning his parents slash not burning his parents? Or did he burn his parents? I can never remember who did the parent burning out of Cain and Undertaker. I'm not here for the jokes, obviously. Um, Or people aren't here for my sense of humor. They've already left, mate. We don't have a dark match after. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, on the Coliseum video, because it ends hot with that song and everything. And. Um, God, it fucking dies immediately because it, it screen wipes to a dead crowd as Jean-Pierre Lafitte comes out to the most boring fucking music ever. See, it, I've seen none of this now. Okay. Because well, the pay-per-view ends with that cool music video and a good taste in your mouth. Well, do you remember when, like you say, on those WrestleFest and any of those Coliseum videos where it would be dark matches, the crowd would be dead because they've sat through a four-hour taping or they've just seen uh, as much as they're going to see. And now they've, they've got a little bit extra at the end. with Two big stars... Um, but the you know it, it, they have to work hard, and luckily Jean Pierre Lafitte and Bret Hart always have tremendous matches. This match didn't come close to their in your house free match, which is one of Bret's you know underrated favorite matches. Um, and I think I've had... seen that without seeing the event. You know, I have a feeling that was on some collection or compilation or something. It it was on, I believe, the Bret Hart Dungeon Collection, which is like his favourite rare matches. Um, uh, I got loads of that cheap once and sold them, so that's how I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, I mean, they, they have to work hard, but fuck me, Stanley and Grilla Martin will suck the life out of any match. Um, and mm. they, they didn't work as a team. Stanley, and I, I love most stuff from this era, but Stanley on commentary doesn't work. Maybe in a live situation, it may have worked better, but not as voiceovers. Why they didn't keep Vince and Jerry Lawler? Like, they did on In Your House 1. There's two extra matches. And Vince and King are commentating it live. And it's far better than this dead crowd to this really dull music um, with Jean-Pierre Lafitte. And the, I mean, once Brett comes out, like, the crowd perk up, obviously. But obviously. Stanley and Aguilar Monsoon did not mesh, in my opinion, well as a commentary team. Uh, the shite on that WrestleFest tape we're watching. Yeah, uh, Grillman soon and Johnny Polo was a great underrated team because uh, he would wind them up. You know what I mean? And Monsoon was, and the, it's Monsoon could still really put all like his all into something if he was motivated enough. But these like going by the motions, how many matches had they sat down and commentated for Coliseum video that afternoon? Oh, that's true as well. Can you imagine yeah. that? Just sitting in a studio watching fucking loads of dark matches and having to pretend you're there. <laughs> and that's the thing they really do, because I think Kama on the second match tells someone to shut up and Monsoon would do the thing of like, is he talking to me? <laughs> it's like, no, you're not even in the arena, so that would be quite impressive. Um, no, mate, because he's talking in the past. <laughs> so I've, I've got to say, I don't remember much from this dark match uh, with Brett against uh, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. It's, it's kind of funny, though, because I think these are the only two in your houses where they put dark matches on after the event. But eventually they would release a Hidden Matches of the 90s DVD, and there was loads of in-your-house dark matches on them um, without commentary. And it's safe to say without commentary, it's better than it would have been if uh, Monsoon and Stan... You know the Bret Hart 1-2-3 kit match on Raw? Yes, I do. From June 94, brilliant match, or July 94. It's Jim Ross and Randy Savage. For whatever reason, they brought Jim Ross back this one night because he this was his first night back after being fired the first time. Um, and it was amazing. The the fucking energy and everything, and it may have been a live raw. Uh 
And then, for whatever reason, they decided to put it on a Coliseum video and have Stanley Coliseum redo the commentary for it. And Sean Waltman even said himself that he watched it back and he was just like, this fucking ruins this match. Because um, <laughs> the, the commentating is such a slow pace compared to what's going on in the ring. Whereas Jim Ross and Randy Savage, even if Savage is tripping over his words, there's energy to it and there's enthusiasm. Yeah. And you can't really also believe that Grill Monsoon and Stan Lane haven't seen the match on Raw previously. They're talking about it yeah. as if they're watching it for the first time. So there's a lot of that going on on these two matches. And so, and I know I'm probably going too much into it, but I think it's worth going into. Um, so Brett wins that match. And it's not as good as the In Your House free match by far. And then there's a casket match, which I'm really surprised they put this on tape because the building up to Taker and Kama, the casket match at SummerSlam, which is a great match. Um, but this, the crowd are just dead. I mean, Stan Lane even comments on like how bright and hot it is in the arena because it just looks it. And you can tell everyone is exhausted. Um, DBRC, exa- he takes his jacket off. I think Paul Bearer even takes his jacket off because they're just that fucking hot under those lights. And it's just a slow match, um, Cameron and The Undertaker. And I, I get it, end on a gimmick match and stuff like that, but it's just, oh, it just drags once the pay-per-view's finished. And this is me saying it, and I love a lot of 1995, but there's also some weird decision. And, and and it's like, yes, I'm complaining that they give us two extra matches. You know what I mean? But like... I'm feeling grateful that I wasn't given them. Like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about here, but I don't feel inclined to go out and find out. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I understand. Give them, give the tape a bit more, you know, value for money and stuff. But again, I really don't. I don't know. Like, I feel like you're detracting from the value <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Only oh, time I like Gorilla Monsoon on commentary is when he's like being outraged by Bobby Heenan. Yeah, like, he's the perfect foil for that. But like, as an actual commentator, no, it's like I don't want to main commentary to be done by Dusty Rhodes. I want him to make hilarious elbowly noises. But if he's the one I'm relying on for like context and and description and that, I'm fucked. Well, again, if you'd have had even Todd, and he said he wasn't that comfortable behind the mic, but at least it would have given it some energy. I mean, they were the Coliseum video people at that point. Jim, Ro- uh, sorry, Grill Monsoon, Stan Lane. Stan Lane really wasn't in the company long after that, maybe a month as well. Um, and I've, I, See, just... I, I knew none of his timers, like a commentator, or out until you showed one the other day when we were all getting together. I'd, I'd, I'd never really known Stan Lane as a commentator. He's he's just a wrestler to me. He's got that game host, game show host feel to him as a wrestler. He's cocky and he's got sex appeal and everything. And he can't just say he looks good. Yeah, he can talk like this, and you know, and it works as a wrestler, but as a face, a straight faced announcer. With well, the flashy teeth. <laughs> yeah, and he's not even acting like... I, mean, I think that he acted slightly heelish on his first couple of weeks in WWF, and it just got toned down. And then if you watch some of them superstars on the network that they've just uploaded, he's trying to... Because him and Vince do a little bit of spiel at the start in the way that him, Piper, and Honky used to do, or him and Perfect, and it would be pre-written as like a little sketch. But Stan Lane trying to be funny when he's scripted, doesn't work. If you let him be Stan Lane on commentary and let him just be a dickhead and maybe give him a drink beforehand, like, it, <laughs> it, you know, it would have been far better than what than what it was. It was a very... I understand why Vince hired him because he looks great in a suit and with the, you can tell he, he 
Stanley had cut his hair before this, but he made him cut it more. You know the story that he stood in front of Michael Hayes while he cut his hair and beard off to make sure that it was getting done. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's so sad. <laughs> you weren't a free bird forever. <laughs> you, you've spent less time as a free bird now and more just as a corporate bellend. This is so sad. Um, and I, he- I make sure Mason never knows that's Michael Hayes, you know, because he fucking adores the free birds. <laughs> and he's like, who's that? I was like, doesn't matter, son. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, very on WWF hiring. I mean, give them credit for trying something new with Doc Hendricks and he put us all into it, but it was once he toned down a little bit by like sort of like early to mid-96, you know, because you have to, you couldn't keep that up forever. Um, Oh, God, no. (laughs) When he started like hosting more shows and he found his groove with Todd and stuff like that, I think that was more of a fit from than commentating on an entire pay-per-view with that voice. Like it just it it just really great on and that's the thing I love like the Duke of Dorchester Pete Doherty not the rest not the singer um, <laughs> and he he and that right like Mickey from Rocky like imagine yeah. <laughs> hearing that for three fucking hours that'll great on you a bit as the Michael as Doc Hendricks kind of does um, so yeah Undertaker basically beats Kamala Kamala Kama in a nothing happening casket match um not even on wheels or anything as well it was kind of like a an actual normal coffin like a really nice white pearl coffin as well they definitely bought it locally um you can tell that like a country artist would definitely be buried in that coffin like in an old beautiful, beautiful white one yeah. yeah it was really nice as far as coffins goes like you know they probably had to go back to the shop after the fucking you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, that was, and I know it's kind of a flat way to end the event, but you know, we've got to talk about these matches, and I think it was worth getting into. But uh, I don't consider those part of In Your House too, because the entire feel of it being in the South and it being in Tennessee and that music feel, and even the tongue and cheekness of like Vince dressed up and stuff like that, that's what makes In Your House. And I wouldn't say don't watch a Bret Hart match, but like if you don't want an event to just fucking fall flat after. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, yeah, though- I have to say, I ended quite positively after that, even though I didn't like the lumberjack match. It was confusing and a lot happened, so I still felt entertained enough. <laughs> like when it finished and then they did the music video, I was like, yeah, that, that was cool. I didn't know there was more shite to come afterwards. Yeah, and again, it's a it's tired wrestlers in front of a tired crowd. With it's just pointless, isn't it? Boring commentators, and and I love Monsoon, um, but it just it really kills the entire thing. Um, oh dear. Yes, I do apologize, but uh, and and I don't, <laughs> unless you buy the tag classics, I don't think you're ever gonna they're ever gonna feel the need to put those on the network or do anything with them. So uh, consider this a service. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we'll review the shit that you don't have to watch or that you'll never watch um, so, <laughs> so yeah that, that was in your house too and I'm kind of I want to go and watch at least the first you know two hours of it and then maybe turn it off once uh, Jean-Pierre <laughs> Lafitte comes to the ring but um, what did you think of the event overall? I by and large enjoyed it it's mostly a bit throwaway but it's fun throwaway like it's a good way to spend your day it's not like a classic, but I've not seen a lot of different in your house pay per views. A few that I've seen weren't good, 
a few that I've seen were really good, and I hear lots of horror stories. So I, I don't know. I thought this was pretty good, especially given that I hate 1995. Yeah, it's it's certainly not the worst event of 1995. There is far you know poorer showings from top to bottom. Um, yeah, and, definitely from both and, companies. Yeah, and I really like that they they went as you know reasonably all out with the theme as well. I think it kind of helps, and and I also like that you know because there weren't many views that had a running story throughout back then, um, and it was Jarrett's night really to shine, and he very much does in all senses, and that's why it's just mental that it was his last night with the company. It is crazy to think that. And like, I'd say to anybody, go and listen to it because Jarrett's just recently talked about this and I've heard some of it and it's pretty interesting. It gives you a context for his own actions and the year and everything. It's pretty good. Yeah, it, it feels to me that we've never had his side of the story told in that great a depth. Because uh, we yeah. when we went to see him, he didn't go in that great a depth about it. No, but he's being led a lot and the questions are all quite basic, weren't they? They were, but wouldn't you expect like one of the biggest things to have happened to him? Because I mean, you left him twice, and they were both pretty big deals. But everyone mainly remembers the China one because it led to WCW and all that. But uh... they both did. He went to WCW both times. No, he actually he he was gone in July, and then he came back to WWF in December. Um, did he really? Because he had the match with Ahmed Johnson at the Royal Rumble. And Does that make him decide he definitely didn't want to be there <laughs> Well, f- funnily enough, because storyline-wise, they said he went on tour. <laughs> he had a sold-out <laughs> tour, which is brilliant. And he gets given a gold record, which he smashes over Ahmed's head. And when he returns in 97 and does that shoot interview on Raw, he's like, I left because I had to face bums like Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> so oh, you're, did he actually say that? I was really, really joking. Really on the mark there with that. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I'll gladly talk about anything that Jarrett's ever done. So we'll definitely have to go into some of the early TNA shows quite soon. But Oh, God, yeah. I love Jeff Jarrett. Yeah, he's amazing. And uh, I know I've rambled on, but this is kind of the event that I know probably far too much <laughs> about. It's a two-hour show, and at the start I said, yeah, this will be nice and short, you know, we've been getting them about an hour and a half. This will probably be our shortest show yet. It's our fucking longest one yet. <laughs> on text is good, that's all I'm going to say. Um, so where, where, what we do next? Next, well, we're, for our uh, Turntruckle 2000, since we're going to be like Techno Team 2000, <laughs> We'll be doing sold out, and I have to tell you, I have some real treat, treat remarks from Mason to drop into that one. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing a series of all the WWF and WCW shows from 2000. So whereas, I, w- I mean, you had seen Royal Rumble 2000 a few times, and you love it, and it's, you know, generally, and you know a lot about that event, certainly, but WCW events in 2000 is your fucking territory, like. Um. Yeah, like, I-, I know that pretty well, even though it's just... Part of part of my interest in doing that is one, I get a chance to laugh at some really shit stuff. Two, there's loads of people like you get a chance to debunk stuff. Loads of people say by actually watching stuff they haven't seen. Like, yes. There's a lot of people <laughs> having a really strong opinion on something that they've either seen like 15 seconds on YouTube or they've just like heard from someone else who's read like a book that's written by someone else who wasn't there and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've had so many opinions given to me by people about WCW from then by people who've never watched a single <laughs> event, but they like talk like they're an authority and they like correct me. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? I was actually there. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's even worse to me, WCW 2000, uh, in terms of how people slag it off without having seen it, than how people talk about 1995 WBF without having seen it and not realizing that there is some good stuff in there. 
Um, well, it's like I was saying about SummerSlam. It's like yeah. when you can see one match that's so bad, you forget that the rest of it is not. There's yeah. a lot of stuff like that happens with WCW in 2000 as well. Oh, well, I'll, I very much look forward to uh, getting into it. And what do you have coming up with uh, Road Country Radio as well? With Road Country, with uh, we are back on the air. We have started now. In terms of like events to do with it, we don't have a lot going on at the moment because you know it's still we're making stuff recover. We're trying to book different dates and like there's festivals that we were going to put an extra stage on at are obviously not happening anymore. So that's yeah. all a little bit up in the air. But I'm getting other artists involved to do like little guest spots where they can talk about a song they really love and bring people in on it. So. Yeah, it's good. And because this is so country-themed, I'm going to be able to share this and all of our road country stuff <laughs> so that people can get put on a turntruckle as well. Oh, well, I do apologise. I know I ramble a bit, so feel free to skip the dark match bit at the end. Even though I've said this at the end, I should have said that at the start. I was going to say they're going to hear that and go, oh, no, I know. I could have skipped it. You wouldn't have been offended by it. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, we've went more into those two dark matches more than any other radio show ever. So, you know, I'll take that. I'll take working get so yeah um i want to thank we've you. done this rare thing as well where we're a podcast who we've given our opinions on an event that happened in 1995 not just repeated dave Meltzer's opinion <laughs> <laughs> seems to be the done thing now you watch modern stuff you list 10 reasons that everything was bad and then if it's older you just ask uncle dave and then you just say that's your opinion yeah and and, and look, uh, yeah like it's not even me knocking dave Meltzer. there's nothing it's, it's not his opinion it's the way that other people just say it's theirs or say it's fact. Well, I showed you something on Facebook, didn't I, because uh, the, the, all the rumours were Brian and Punk going to AEW, and someone was like, yeah, my sources have confirmed it to me, and everyone's just like, fuck off. <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck off with your sources. <laughs> so I always say to take everything I say with a pinch of salt. I'm like, look, like the only sources I have is like, Chipotle mustard, Vooza Vooza, and um, Hickory Barbecue. Like, I don't have no sauces that are fucking like within AEW or Ring of Honor or something like that. Like, just give our people are embarrassed. It's the same with the football. It's like all these in the know accounts on Twitter all the time about the Newcastle takeover. And they're always like guaranteeing stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm sure these NDAs <laughs> between like <laughs> the Saudi Kingdom and the Premier League, I'm sure you have a source somewhere, Mr. Like Hot Fortune 247. You know what I mean? Someone like, under a table off. with a glass, like, you know, to the ear and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was putting a black and white shirt on farting for a while and then going right well that's facts <laughs> <laughs> oh, right well thank you for joining us for what turned out to be far more of an epic show than we'd planned um, it's, it's always fun when your show's longer than the pay-per-view um, but I feel like we've done it now we've done it to death so we'll never need to talk about it in your house too ever again um, in your but- house and in the ground <laughs> <laughs> In that beautiful white coffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got. See, I've got. You know, uh, and uh, what's the word? I was going to say affliction. That's not the right word. Uh, not affiliation. You do have an affliction. You love WWE from 1995. <laughs> the major affliction. Like I just amputate whichever part caused that. <laughs> Well, it's one of the few videos I got as a kid. Then, so I've got. A... No, I know what you mean, mate. I covered WCW at ninety-two. I know your feeling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you all for listening to Turn Chuckle, <laughs> and we will be back with uh, Sold Out Two Thousand. <laughs> yes, we will. See you then. Mm-hmm.